What's happening, you fat bastards? This is Mike. Uh, this is Mr. John. And you're listening to Podcast Croissant. Hi, Mr. John. How are you? Um, yeah, this is really unexpected. I mean, I, I just literally got in here. I'm, I'm slightly frightened, overall <laughs> disorientated, and extremely excited. But, you know, that's just because it's Tuesday. Of course. Normal for Tues- me. Tuesdays can be a... I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm just getting partway through my my coffee, my caffeine topical. Oh, see what you did there. I mean, I I did consider doing a, an experiment to stay up all night before doing this podcast on a sort of caffeine fix to see what it'd be like. Then I realised I'd probably just be really normal and you know talk about mortgages and insurance and stuff like that. So I think you want me, you know, so sober, so I'm completely focused and utterly batshit crazy for you in this experience. Catching you in your usual form. Yeah, really. Um, this isn't even my final form, ladies and gentlemen, and other listening out there in internet world. Um, I could be anything. I could be next to you right now, disguised as a small car. <laughs> yes. I must say I've got no small cars next to me, so I think I'll personally I, – I, I, I think I'm safe because I'm indoors. If you're recording this from a garage like Metallica, there might be a car next to you, but you're not, so there isn't. Yeah. So you're okay. Okay. Good, good. Oh, how's uh, how's how's the world in? Uh, yes, you're in Scotland. That's right. And how's the world in Scotland? How's uh, how's the world with what Infinite Hive? Yeah, that's my record label. Um, that's okay. Um, put a single out last week uh, on the old streaming services there, Spotify, Apple, Amazon. A guy called Pat Dennis, who's basically a, just kind of a local American chap, country western troubadour, um, drinks a lot, and he's just he just. He's just very prolific. So I decided after seeing him live a few times and him supporting a few people I work with just to kind of offer him a deal, just like, hey, do you want to put some records out? And he did. And uh, yeah, he's, he's been writing stuff. So his, his song Circuit Breaker is now out. It's a song about the lockdown because that's the expression a lot of the government is using to um, have a quick lockdown, like a two-week lockdown. They call it a circuit breaker to kind of stop a bit of the spread of the disease. Uh-huh. So yeah, he's written a song about that because as you know yourself, you're a musician, we can't gig, we can't perform, we can't get a living. So digital stuff is the only way we can get by. So I've been supporting that as best I can. Yep. Nice one. Other than that, Scotland's yeah. normal. Um, we're, we're locked down to a certain degree. We've got different, I think Jim's mentioned the tiers we have. We're all divided up into different sections. And oh, you're under the thing. same sort of structure as, like, are you, is the UK all doing the one, like the same thing? Or yeah. is it, yeah, okay. The, the UK government controls it all. We have individual governments or sub-governments in like Wales and, and uh, Ireland and Scotland, and they have a certain amount of rights, but it all comes from, from Westminster, from London, which we're all trying to change, or some of us are trying to change. Not everyone agrees on independence or breaking uh-huh. the union, but that's politics, isn't it? Now, I want to ask a bunch of political questions and ask if you're like, but are you guys involved in Brexit? I think we'll, I won't go. Yeah. keep going. That's the UK. The UK, the UK is, is um, leaving Europe. Uh, in, so the in UK general. leaves Europe. Yeah, it's not just England. No, no, no. It's the whole. The UK is the is the country, um, but it has individual kind of member of the, the state rather has individual member countries, which is you know Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and England. Um, but in terms of the Brexit vote, when the voting the referendum was had in two thousand and sixteen, I think um, the majority of the votes is, are come from England because England has a large population of about 50, 50 55 million. Um, Scotland has six, Wales a few million, I'm not sure, Northern Ireland a few million. So proportionately, the, the Brexit votes all came mostly from, from English uh, areas. And Scotland majority voted not to leave um, uh, 
the the EU mm. uh, deal. So England's kind of dragged everyone out, and now you've got all this shouting about breaking up the United breaking Kingdom up the UK, so that country. you know you guys can um, Go rejoin the EU. Yeah. the EU. I was trying to think of a reverse word for Brexit. I have nothing funny to say about it, unfortunately. So we're already going down a bit of a comedy no, cul-de-sac. I know, I know. It's, it's but, very divisive. But surely there's, there's, surely there's been a pun, like a word that someone's come, <laughs> that someone's come up with that combines leaving the, shit the UK, a shit show. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an absolute shit show. The the the, the, the twenty teens will be looked back on by historians in in years to come, or aliens if we all blow ourselves up, and they'll just be going. What the fuck was happening then? What was in the water? Everyone was insane. Britain leaving the EU, America voting for Trump, Mr. John becoming a co-presenter on the podcast Croissant. Very strange times. I know that's that would be the uh, three key highlights. Signs of the apocalypse, mate. Absolutely. Hey, should we get on with some Faith No More talk, podcast Croissant talk? Topical talk. I have a responsibility here to come in with some interesting knowledge, you know, bring something to the table. Please. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned my label, Infant Eye. I worked with Chuck Mosley, I put one of his records out, the Endoria record he does with Douglas Esper, who's been on your show, who's a great friend of mine. He's a lovely chap, uh, and he owes me money. And um, <laughs> you can edit that last bit if you want. He doesn't, he doesn't really. <clears throat> maybe he does. Um, so I thought <laughs> it'd be cool if I came in with some stuff maybe you guys didn't know about, some facts you didn't have. So I'm going to tell a Chuck story, which I absolutely I love this story. It's so funny. Um, we're working with Chuck. He was touring the UK. We were obviously getting his record and his T-shirt together with his tour manager, Andy. Shout out to Andy and Douglas, of course. So when we all hung out, we met with them on the Scottish leg of the tour. My friend Frank was coming along, Frank Quinn, who's mentioned on the back of the recent Chuck Mosley live record. Um, we all hanging out and, and basically Doug just does this thing where he just goes off and explores whatever town he's in, whatever city he's in. So he just left us in Glasgow with Chuck. So me and Frank are sitting there with Chuck Mosley, ex-singer of Faith No More, you know, childhood hero, guy. I've, I've got po- I had posters of him on my wall when I was a kid and stuff like that. So it's just this surreal moment like, oh, we better just hang out with Chuck Mosley then. <laughs> so we're sitting there. And it's the usual thing of getting to know someone the first hour or two, you're a bit like, oh, yeah, and a few things. And then he started to swap life stories. And then by the afternoon of that day before his gig in Glasgow in September 2016, he's just chill. And he would, we're just sitting there talking and, and, and making each other laugh and stuff. And there's two things. The first thing was, at some point, I'm telling him one of my many anecdotes. I'm just one of these guys who tell stories. As you know, you've spoken to me already off air, and you got that experience. I'm telling him a story. And at some point, Chuck just turns around and goes, oh, really? And my brain goes, <laughs> that, that's the guy who sings the crab song. He says that in the intro to the crab song. It's one of my favorite Faith No More songs. Definitely like third or fourth in my top 10. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, oh, really? He does it perfectly. And I'm like, sorry, could you say that again? And I look at Frank and Frank's just like holding his head going, "Amazing." we're talking to Chuck Mosley. It's a really weird thing to hear him say that. And I, to this day, I don't know if he does that on purpose or did that on purpose to mess with us or if it's just in his vocabulary, you know. Yeah, yeah, so we're yeah. sitting there talking and this girl comes up out of nowhere. 20 something lady blonde hair and she's like oh are you him to chuck and chuck I mean, we're, we're mid-sentence we're talking like me and you're talking now and chuck's like uh sometimes yeah why because <laughs> like, he's probably been approached by fans a hundred times and she's like are you are you the guy that's playing here tonight and he's like oh yeah yeah we're playing a show are you coming to see it and she goes yeah i really like faith no more and he, and he says something like yeah they're okay you know <laughs> 
<laughs> and so me and Frank are just like watching this exchange because he he's just like the nicest but funniest dude. People don't realize how thick, how quick witted he was. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's so quick. So he's sitting there looking at her, being just really polite and not not you know being at all like rock starish or, or arrogant. And she goes, um, yeah, me and my friends were supposed to go and see Faith No More in Germany a few years ago, but they went without me. I wasn't invited. And Chuck goes, yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, that was uh, that was my sort of hanging out with Chuck. There's a few other things that you know, went down, but we'll maybe keep them for another day. But what I've done today for you, Mike, as a little arriving gift, you know, you join something new, you go into someone's virtual house you bring a nice gift wow uh, i've got some um some sort of faith no more facts and mr john faith no more facts which i don't think you've had on your show I've got no we attention. never do faith no more facts no no so it's a totally new thing new thing yes yeah, so do you want to hear these yes yes uniproof so as we know um previous co-presenters of the podcast have relied on direct face-to-face interrogation with members of the band past and present written books about them or they've looked at articles and books about them published by people who've pressed them with actual questions, sometimes for cash. I don't have any of those resources, so here's some complete bollocks I've made up. Uh, This is Faith No More Facts from Mr. John. (laughs) One. Synth finger Roddy Bottom has a pathological fear of towels. When the band is on tour, their hotel's demands include that the Roddy man has to have a balcony to sun himself on in his pants so he can get dry after a bath. There are rumours that he once requested a jacuzzi powered by hair dryers in order to unmoisten himself after a sweaty Texan gig. Wow, wow. Number two, Vanilla Ice has been in Faith No More. Vanilla Ice has been in Faith No More since 1997. Former Systems Collapse guitaring hero, Ice Brackets, Vanilla, close brackets, has disguised himself as the rock strings man we know as John Hudson for more than two decades, reworking his 1990s chart hit Satisfaction through the Faith No More records, which makes them even more good. We found this out because, as everyone knows, John Hudson is an anagram of Dunno Josh, and there's no one in Faith No More called Josh. Wow, mind-blowing. Three, Faith No More Headquarters, also known as FNMHQ, is delayed being decorated by Bill Y. Gould, which is why they can't make any records right now, people. Yeah, the root cause is that Bill wants an L-shaped sofa in the control room, but sticky-hitting drum bongo Mike Borden wants a series of small stools to perch on, like dwarfs or gnomes and a little fishing rod. This argument's divided the band so much, Mike Patton's hair's gone all curly, which means none of us can impersonate him anymore. <laughs> now... None of these facts have been corroborated by the band and in many cases have been reenacted by surprise chimps. That was Faith No More Facts, and I'm done with that. We can move on now. I loved that. And I and I'm normally used to doing this as an audio thing, but uh it's nice to it's we're we're doing it we're doing a video. I wish people could see your face your and your face expressions at this time. So You'd probably lose half of your viewers immediately. We've got to evolve so people can see some of these uh yeah, some of these facial expressions. It's a pity because I, I do have a suitcase full of disguises next to me. We'll never get around to that. <laughs> well, thank you for the thank you for the the faith. No more facts. That's a exciting new addition. We can't believe we're into episode twenty three and we never thought of it. Well, no, I mean I, I'm the sort of guy who has these original ideas. You know, faith. No more facts. Uh, emails from people who listen to the show. You could try that maybe as a suggestion off the top of my head uh, where hair should be. Um, and you know, maybe you could even try just actually having a podcast, but no, just, just, just an idea. One of my biggest suggestions I think would be housekeeping. <gasps> housekeeping. 
So housekeeping is where we uh, make amends for any, you know, misrepresented, misrepresented ideas uh, from the previous episode. Uh, Mr. John, do you have any housekeeping from last episode? No, I had a great time. I loved it. Land of Sunshine is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Not really. I mean, yeah, I, I think um, I, I, I wrote in anyway. So this is a weird kind of, you know, cross paradox for me in a weird place to be. Um, like I said, I told you the story about my, my then girlfriend who played the song seven times which is a weird experience because it's it's about Scientology. And my band have covered it as well. We've, that's one of the few Faith No More songs we've actually played live. My band, <clears throat> meow. Uh, you have to say it like that, by the way. So, yeah, we, we covered Land of Sunshine for a uh, 1990s tribute night for a local venue that was turning 25. Yeah. Nice. And, well, I mean, it must be a relief you were saying in your email that by the time you finally got to hearing Caffeine, it was a relief. So it must be a relief to be doing the Caffeine episode. If, yes, it's been a, it's been a long and lengthy wait. I love this song. Uh, first time I saw Faith No More, nineteen ninety seven, Glasgow, fifth of December, so nearly an anniversary. Um, they didn't play it. <laughs> I was like absolutely livid. Didn't play that or Epic. It was really weird. I was like, they didn't play Land of Sunshine. As the gig went on, I was like, they're going to play Epic, aren't they? And they didn't play Epic. And I was like, okay, I don't actually mind because Epic's a bit. You know, you, you get a bit yeah, sick yeah. of certain songs. But they didn't play Caffeine. I was furious because. As, as a musician, I, I picked up very quickly when I first heard it, some musical training I had, that it was in three and not four. It was a very weird time signature um, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. rock and roll. So, yeah, it was a very rare, odd song. What year did you say that was? 1997, 5th of December. It's their last UK gig before they split. Yeah, because as they were getting toward the end of 97, I think they did cut, start to cut Epic a little bit, but I didn't know they... That's right. it, Caffeine was almost a staple. Caffeine's been as consistent as... Any of the other key songs along the way? Yeah. Cut it. Yeah. It was an interesting gig. They played Land of Sunshine at that gig because that was when they did the breakdown when they stopped doing the solo and instead Patton would stand next to Vanilla Ice and um, do the vocalize the the solo instead. And he'd just play the kind of pick it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Nice. That was fun. Uh, Look, just really quickly for housekeeping. For some reason, I was swearing a lot last episode. I don't know why, but at some point it started to annoy me. I'm like, why am I swearing again? I heard a podcast of someone else recently and the guy just, as he interviewed, just kept just dropping F-bombs just because he thought he sounded cool. And I just felt like that last episode. So if anyone picked up on that, I apologize. And I'm really um, fucking sorry if I've been swearing in my first appearance here, uh, my debut co-presenting. Uh, moment as well it's a funny thing um i, I like a, like you said to me we talked off off camera i am um, i or off recorder i used to do stand-up and i used to do sketch comedy as well and in terms of stand-up you can't help yourself you're in the moment you're worried you're stressed out there's a light on you and maybe there's things happening the audience are you know responding badly to things and you get angry so there's a lot of um profanity when you do stand-up but when you're doing um recorded stuff and you do three or four takes it, you lose that spontaneity. Uh, I think, you know, what, what you do with a podcast, it's very spontaneous. I think a bit of swearing seems quite natural unless you're trying to, you know, come across very professional, avoid that. But we tried to go out of our way with a sketch comedy a team I used to work with called Team Fishcake in Manchester to avoid using profanity where we could and just focus on making a, bit, a good joke, you know, having a, a decent punchline or a good setup for something. It has its effectiveness, but I think it's a very honest form of expression trying to buy you out here i'm trying to help you out and make you feel less bad about yourself mike well if anything it makes me feel worse because obviously i can't survive without fucking swearing 
Uh, and the other exciting uh, little bit of housekeeping is that I had said in last episode's housekeeping in relation to the prior episode of, on Jim Martin that I couldn't find mm. substantiated evidence of uh, Jim doing the air guitars, uh, the, the, the air guitars in Bill and Ted, and uh, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey specifically. And uh, so I did find a source of where I had first found it, and that was in the old.fnm.com in the FAQ. Oh, yeah, okay. And the, yes. the, the FAQ said something about what was Jim's involvement with Bill and Ted, and one of them was the uh, mentioning this playing the air guitars. And the only person I thought I could reach out to that maybe I would provide some sort of um, – uh, what do you what do you call that thing when you have evidence? Evidence. It's a reference. Um, substantiation. It's substantiation. Yeah. One of one of. Uh, anyway, there was because there was no there was no actual proof of this outside this FAQ that was posted late nineties. Um, but yeah, and I, so I reached out to Andy Couch. Shout out, Andy. Love to have you on the show. From uh, old Cacavalante days, we have heard from him before. So uh, Andy Andy Couch just points out to me that in the credits to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, it's actually just in the credits. So it sort of just came full circle to the most obvious answer of where you might find that information. And it is Jim then. So he did the guitars. Excellent. I thought you were about to say it was it wasn't him, and that was a big lie, and we had to go and find the people from F and M come and kill them. Well, I was worried that it was, but here we here we go. Within the credits, it says Sterling Air Guitars by Jim Martin. So, uh, so Sterling. My memory, it, yep, it holds. So it, no, wait, look at the way it, it, it says Sterling air guitar. Sterling air guitar specifically. Sterling air guitar. I've never heard that expression. But Sterling is a town near, you know, near me in Scotland. I just think it means like Sterling is in just another word for bodacious. Yeah. Or excellent. Yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a very um a very positive adjective. Sterling work on your podcast, Mike. You know. Mm. I don't know why I said that in that voice. I could, I could have used a more Scottish voice in that. Sterling work on your podcast, Mike. You oh, I like that one. That's good. <laughs> ah, but that's it for that's it for housekeeping. What about uh? This is this is where we would probably do. Uh, do you feel like doing some emails? I would love to. Hopefully, there's some from me. There isn't. It's your emails. It's your emails. It's your emails. Okay, a few emails this episode, and they're actually topical, which is which is nice. We've got a. Uh, well, do you want to do you want to do you want to kick things off? We've got, got this this one here. I think I should because uh, and, and no offense, first day don't want to upset the apple cart, but the way you guys read is <laughs> it's not really up to full par, is it? I mean, it's not great. No. So uh, let's go with um, Scott Phillips. I think. An avid new listener is the description of the subject matter. And Scott Phillips says, Hey guys, I've only just discovered your podcast and I must say that it is amazing. Sycophant. I started by listening to the latest episode and soon realized I was missing out on some crucial backstory and references. So I paused and went back to number one. Good thing it got back to number two, so I could have got messy. <laughs> and after some solid listening time on my commute back and forth from work, I've almost caught up. Brackets King for a day. B-sides. How refreshing refreshing to have knowledgeable superfans chatting with such passion and not boring the listener to death jim is hilarious <coughs> and mike's comebacks are spot on i'd love to have been there when you met up in the states 
It sounds like he's looking for a hot three-way mic. <laughs> How the both of you know so much about the band defies logic, and I'm learning so much. Come on, Scott, you must have your own specialist subject. Don't deal yourself down. Brackets. Have you ever thought people might make peculiar names up to provoke a reaction out of you both? Yes, mate, that's what I did. <laughs> anyway, I discovered FNM in August 1997 while watching them at the Phoenix Festival in the UK and have adored them ever since. There's no one quite like them. Always keep up the good work. And please, Jim, don't take the piss out of me too much. <laughs> that's not going to happen, Scott, because it's me. <laughs> Surname Scott Smiley, I know. London's or Smiley? I think it's Smiley because he, he, he's put I know in brackets suggesting this comedic reference and I can't think of anything funny about being called Smilly. No, nothing at all. you fart a lot. He's Smilly and he farts. <laughs> ah, thanks, Scott. We've got one here from uh, Zinaf. Zinaf? Zinaf. That's Zinaf. Actually. That's Zinaf. I know what it is. Mike. This is actually pronounced. That's Zinaf. What? That's enough. It's enough. That's enough. That's it. <laughs> oh, that was good. No, it, it took me a while. I just you're, you're looking at me just say, like as if you're correcting me because I was I was too excited by what I was going to say because I was going to say it's zin as fuck. Yeah, maybe my week three of me doing this will, will establish. Oh, some God, I know. Right, right now, I think we just need to let's just, just let's just let's just read this. Move the on, the old guy used to catch me off fine. guard so much, and this is okay. So. Zinner's Fox says, Greetings to you, Mike and Jim. This is the cousin of Ivan Batchvarov. Ivan Batchvarov. Writing. Oh, we've even got the, the pronunciation there. I'll move on. Yes, the same Ivan that has sent you a bunch of mails filled with lies and made-up stories. He barely listened to Faith No More back in the day as he was in the Madonna <gasps> fandom and also thinks Red Hot Chili Peppers are better than Faith No More. Sick. I hear in the 2000s, he was often seen with Justin Bieber t-shirt. Anyway, I don't really have anything to add to the caffeine topic. I'm really writing to you out of pity. I was saddened when you did not get any fan mail for Land of Sunshine episode, so I decided to drop you a line, just not feel like complete losers. <laughs> Take care, boys. Keep the suicidal thoughts at bay. Cheers. Zinaf. Enough. You're like you're like liquid Prozac, mate. That's so sweet. And then it says, "P.S. Lovely. Looking forward to the next final episode with Jim." Well, uh, I think you caught it, mate. Oh, that's your expectations, knackered chum. I'm going to read this next email, which the very cleverly titled "Caffeine Slash Engo," mm -hmm. thus referencing the remix of today's subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, quick intro. I'm Antonio Cunha Lopez, 44, I can't say that in Portuguese, from Portugal. Big FNM fan since the age of 15 or 16. Well, which is it, mate? Make your mind. <laughs> Went to all their shows here, including the last show when they broke up here in Lesbian. <clears throat> Lesbian, fuck. Caffeine is a great song and widely known, but I'd like to hear more about the Engov remix. Ah, maybe you got a little plans for later on then. The Engov remix, best squeeze that in. At the time, 1995, knows what you're I bought the Metallurgy compilation just because of that one track. I think the remix is by Bill Good himself, but I wonder if there's a story behind this work and also the live version if it was ever played live. No, it wasn't. Engo was never played live, mate. How, it's a remix. Thanks for making me relive those great years. Antonio. I've no idea if that accent worked or not. It, it, it could even be culturally ignorant, but quite frankly, I'm all about stupid comedy accents and everyone's welcome to try and do mine. I was completely engrossed. I was just looking down at my, to my, my second laptop and I was engrossed. I felt as though You've got two laptops. I felt as though yeah, 
Yeah, I got two laptops. You got two laptops. I got two laptops. laptops Yeah, that's psychotic. What what do they look at each other? Are they like mirrors? They um, (laughs) I don't know. What's your What's your game? (laughs) Why why not a laptop and a desktop? So you can work on the desktop and then pick up the laptop and walk away and work somewhere else. Why Why two laptops? What if right? You You take one laptop to the lounge and you open it up and you're working on it and you go, "Oh, I want to listen to Engove," and that's on an MP3 on. My, other my laptop. I mean, come on, Mike, think these things through, mate. Unless you've got a Dropbox or some kind of shared, you know, OneDrive thing going on. In which case, ignore everything I just said. <laughs> Lefty Hayes has written in six surname. And it says, uh, this is just an email. You will grow out of it. Which is a clever, very, like very that. good, very like good topical. That. It's on topic. Topical subject, uh, uh, subject words. I really hope he's not warning us. Hey guys, it's Lefty again. I'm so glad you guys are doing an entire episode on my all-time favourite Faith No More song, Caffeine. I loved it so much I bugged my old bandmates back in the day till we eventually got around to covering it. I don't want to say too much about it because I am sure you guys are going to cover most of everything that needs to be said about it, including the fact that caffeine was Patton's drug of choice in those days, like it used to be for me as well when I was younger. These days, I am steering clear from caffeinated beverages and other hard drugs, of course, and stick to mainly the booze myself. LOL! Anyway, I was reminded of something while going back and listening to the Jim Martin episode. Back in the day, there was a video game called King of Fighters 94, which was released on the Neo Geo and was very popular in Japan. During the Brazil stage of the game, you'll hear some theme music that may sound a bit familiar to you guys. I'll drop the link below for you guys to check out. Much love to you guys. Keep up the great work. Your pal, Lefty Hayes. And did you listen to this? No. Was I supposed to? I might end up getting fired quickly. Shall I listen to it now? Check it out. Or, or do you want to put it on one of your laptops? It's a complete li- cool. It's a complete copyright breach. It's a complete lift of surprise. You're dead, and as a record label owner, I'm calling my lawyer immediately. And it's not even on my record label. <laughs> that is a toll. I mean, it's it's a cool thing, but you know, it, it, it's someone's someone's been a bit naughty and lifted that there, especially if it came out in 1994. Because surprise, you're dead. It's like 1989. But that's wild. Like, I mean, I don't know. It, could it have been licensed? He said it was in Japan. That that sounds like a lift. That sounds like a a cheeky little. Mm. Who's going to find out? Skullduggery has been had. Good find. I love it. I've never heard that. That was awesome. Uh, Oh, Florida Man Ben Brown. Do you want to grab Florida Man Ben Brown? Yeah. Um, Where is he? Florida. Anyway. Hello, guys. Oh, subject matter. Land of sunshine, housekeeping, and caffeine. Oh, he's got housekeeping. Oh, I hope he hasn't got something we've missed. Oh, wet me kecks. Hello, guys, again. That was an exceptionally fun show. Uh, Jim, you can never leave, so stop scaring the audience that way. <laughs> Too late. Mike, I personally love the music theory breakdown of the songs. Actually, yeah, that is good. I do like that, too. When you sit and dis- dissect and, and pick it apart musically, that's cool. So, yeah, don't ever change, Mike. You wait till later. 
it's going to be just like last episode, except for it's caffeine. So not like last episode. Oh, and more compliments for you, mate. Check this out. Oh, and Ape BC is a great band name, and the Moist album is really effing good. I'll write a Bandcamp review soon. So nice. Well, so I, nice man. I appreciate that. We could do with some band. He mentioned Ape BC just then. Um, that's that's the band that I'm in. And, uh, it's Mike's and, band. Yeah, appreciate that. They're band excellent. camp reviews, as long as they're five star and really nice. And yeah, could appreciate. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I like that. I like your record too. It is very good. Anyway, this is not about you. So sit down, you selfish bastard. <laughs> Ben, back to Ben's email. I apologise for not writing in for the last show, but life in healthcare and for other personal reasons has been crazy busy. Oh dear, get well soon, Ben. For the record, I'm not one of the ones asking for a song by song of Angel Dust. Too late, motherfucker. You already did introduce yourself, which is my favourite, but since you're doing it, I'll be along for the ride, and the album certainly warrants it. You ride that album, Ben. My personal favourite audio performance of Land of Sunshine is at the Greenfields Festival in 2009. Now, here's the thing. Faith the Moor covered a song called Greenfields by the Bee Gees. I did not know there was a festival with the same name. That's quite interesting. Do they just cover the Bee Gees at this festival? Let's move on. But the 2009 video of it at Roskilde is awesome too. For me, it's one of the songs where the band got better at it with age and with John Hudson. Some love for Josh Dunno there. <laughs> just... <laughs> What I love about caffeine is that we got to hear it in proto form in the South American 1991 shows. Oh, this is deep. There are only a few Chuck era songs, that one. That one. The, that's not a Chuck era song. Caf- the World yeah. is Yours, RV and Matador, where we got to hear them live before the album recordings. Mm. The final version's definitely better. Yes. I don't know if you've seen some of the um, early pre-Angel Dust versions of caffeine, but the structure of the song is, is all over the place, but we can come to that another time. I know what, I know what he's saying here. I know what he's saying here. He's saying hearing them live before they were recorded, there are only a few Chuck era songs as the first comment. Then there was caffeine and then the world is yours, RVM and Matador. The final version is definitely better. Totally agree. I also love how Patton begins to rhyme midline instead of the end of lines, which he did again on midlife crisis. It's part of what made Angel Dust so hard to wrap my head around originally. Well, if it helps, mate, it's just a great album. Don't wrap your head around it. Just accept that feeling and move on with your life. Work for me. The undisputed best version of Caffeine is from Hanging with MTV in 1992 on the video croissant where you guys got your name from. Now, just I want to quickly segue off here. I found out several years ago why that video is called Video Croissant, which is obviously what you call the podcast after. Can you, and I can't remember, it's one of those things I know and it's just gone from my brain. Do you know why Video Croissant was called Video Croissant? I thought this was going to be another Faith No More fact. I thought you'd have- I'm hoping it's one you know. (laughs) Shit. I I found out why, okay, I'll I'll go and find, I'll make that homework for next week, housekeeping for next week. Oh, but- Next time, next podcast. Oh, this is the kind of thing that Jim would have known. Who? I don't know. Wait, what? doesn't matter anyway jim is wearing shorts not jim uh, jim martin, martin. We're talking about now back to the back to the letter i do love those extended versions they did in 1995 with the really long bit in the middle with the bass solo just going over and over again i love that too and the one at radio brazil is pretty good but the snarky mtv performance is a top performance yeah i love that too i love that mtv let i'm fucking you through without a bleep just like they did for love hurts like a motherfucker during the rock in rio to crab song performance i mean Ben, this is some stream of conscious stuff. I don't know what healthcare problems you've had recently, mate, but the medication you're on, <laughs> I'd like you to share it with me. 
<laughs> I guess Faith No More just looked like such fine young men, or sharp young men, if you want to know a little reference there. They relaxed their bleep fingers. Ben, whose name is also a cover song that Faith No More have done. Oh, nice little. <laughs> what noise was nice that? Good grief. From me? I find you coming on here would elicit that sort of response from you, Mike. I would have come a lot sooner. (laughs) Moving on with bitter bore. The subject is caffeine. It's topical. (sighs) Hi, guys. I hope you all are doing well. I loved the Land of Sunshine episode. Well done, gentlemen. I wanted to chime in on caffeine. This song has been battling with the real thing as my favourite song since it came out. I love that it's an odd rhythm being 3-4 and not having the classic Faith No More bass and Tom's driving it. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. Not the, the, the booger daggers. It's not having the classic <laughs> booger daggers. Uh, it has moments of contagious melody and vicious screams. It starts out by punching you in the face, then it lets you recover and catch your breath. Then it attacks again, fittingly, while Patton screams, screams that he's fucking you. The lyrics are some of Patton's best. And the fact that he wrote them while doing his famous sleep deprivation experiment makes it all the more fascinating. Forget the glamour and mumble a jackhammer under your breath. This must be what Patton is talking about when he said that he chooses the words for the sound, not the meaning. And I think this is the first time I know Jim didn't write much, if any, on Angel Dust. But it sure feels like he's stuck in some some of his cool chords instead of using straight power chords. Look, we're we're starting to really get into some nitty gritty here, and a lot of uh, a lot of mm. things that are going to be discussed soon. My favorite. Well, you know caffeine- why it's not a booger dagger, don't you? You know why why caffeine's not a booger dagger? It doesn't qualify because booger daggers only work in four. Smooth. My favorite caffeine performance was the one on Hanging with MTV that appears on the video croissant. Oh, that's the first time I've actually said croissant in the the weird way you UK people do because it's a UK word, right? Croissant. Croissant. <laughs> Cro- Video croissant. Patton is at his best when he's singing Believe Anything Anyone Ever Tells You. I almost made that sound unrecognizable. <laughs> when he's singing, when he's singing Believe Anything Anyone Ever Tells You, it looks like Billy scoots out of his way because he doesn't want to get injured by the flailing Patton as he screams, Tell You. Oh, because it's Tell You. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, he Go watch it. Himself Go watch it. At that point. Yep, starts yeah. rolling. Yep, yep. Let me finish by saying that, in my humble opinion, not only is Angel Dust the greatest Faith No More album, it's the greatest hard rock album of all time. Anyway, I look forward to the next episode. Be safe and well, Brian Bitterbore. Thanks, Brian. It's good to hear from you again after uh, after we slagged you a couple of episodes, but lovingly, you did what? lovingly, passionately. No. Not, not my Brian. Don't you touch my Brian. That sounds like a euphemism. Don't don't touch my Brian. It is. It could be a Beyonce song. Is it possibly a... <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect segue to this next one. The one from Jim, the one at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Who, hang on. Who's this? Yeah. Jim Brown. Jim That's Brown. That's a British name. That could be anyone. I think it's a pseudonym. Weird subject. Uh, the subject is Missing You Already. Shall I just shall I read it? Yes, please. Go ahead. This will be interesting. Hey, Mike and Mr. John. Prophetic. I just wanted to wish you both the best of luck for the future of the podcast. Okay. As you know, Caffeine is one of my favorite Faith No More songs. Yeah, all right. Let's stick it up. And I feel sad uh, that I won't be there to discuss it. I'm sure it was in my top 10. Or was that Men at Work? 
Ha ha ha. I don't know what he's talking about. Anyway, I won't waffle. Thank Christ for that. And I'll save you having to edit this down. I mean, we could just cut this out completely. We, yeah, maybe we don't I'm, need to do this. Yeah, I'll finish it anyway. I'm positive Mr. John will do an excellent job filling my shoes. Yeah, with cement. Have fun and don't take it too seriously. Brackets. Some people can't take a joke. Close brackets. And Oh, I don't know if I can read this last bit, actually. This is maybe a bit personal. Anyway, no, I'll read it. Anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to get through this. P.S. That's postscript. Mike, I feel bad about the way we left things. Call me. Signed, Jimothy. Sent from my iPhone. I can't stand people who use iPhone. <sighs> you, you can change that signature. Learn some, learn some tech. Yeah, well, okay. That's... um. Well, look, it's always good to, you know, we didn't get many emails last episode, so it's nice to be receiving, be receiving. <sighs> um, You're right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, do you mind getting this next one? Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you, you pull yourself together, mate. Come on, you, you're you an Aussie guy. You're supposed to be big and butch and strapping and surfing. Yeah. No, I'm good, mate. And, you know. Um, you, you you can't be wallabying in all this right now. Um, it, it would be kind of kangarooed of you, I think, on my first episode to get upset about these sort of things. Um, you know what? Just take take things slowly. You you read um, slowly. <laughs> you read this one. I'm going to have a wombat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next up is a Facebook comment from Mike Knapp. Hey guys, love the show. I hope Jim is just trolling us and not really leaving the show. Wouldn't be the same without him. I'm writing on the topic of random things that sound like Faith No More. Don't know if you guys would have ever heard of it, but here in the States back in the 1980s, there was a sci-fi TV series called Buck Rogers in the 25th century. In that show, there's a character called Tweaky, who was a robot voiced by famous Looney Tunes actor Mel Blanc. Before speaking... Tweaky would always make a sound that sounds a lot like the part of Chinese arithmetic. Here, have a listen to this short clip from the show and see if you can pick it out. HTTPS colon slash slash B slash JPRQ8U4S1DK. Thank you for reading that out because people can, people can look that up now. <laughs> Just type that URL code into your browser. If you, if you get your, your QR code reader and hold it up to your phone when I say that, it will connect you. And I know that because I work in tech. Look, it holds up, makes complete sense. Did you uh, did you listen to this little this little clip, or do you are you familiar with Buck Rogers? So is Buck Rogers yes. named after the uh, Looney Tunes uh, Daffy Duck Duck Rogers episode? <laughs> Other way around. Buck Rogers oh, is one of those oh. um, ancient nineteen fifties black and white TV adventures like Zorro and um, Flash Gordon, which. George Lucas then based Star Wars on. So when Star Wars is a huge hit, and he said in interviews, he based it on Buck Rogers and, and uh, data holds up. Flash Gordon. Then Did not know that. TV company made Buck Rogers starring like Jill Gerard. It, it looks like Star Wars, or the spaceships are very Star Wars-esque. It's kind of, a, kind of a battered, used-looking universe. Not, it's not everything's like shiny and everything. But yeah, and they had robots in it, hence the Tweaky character. Mm-hmm. It's like this kind of speaking clock thing. Which I forgot the name of oh, it. Like right computer. <laughs> <laughs> I I had to watch that twice. 
admittedly. I was waiting for, at the start of Chinese arithmetic, you get the... You know, the um, ruddy bottom keyboard. And then we get the drum beat, and then we get the, the that sound. Figured it out. That's what he meant. Well, you're Captain Buck Rogers, and according to your ship's log, you left Earth in 1987. That much I know. Tell me what I don't know. Well, if preliminary data holds up, it appears you have returned to Earth 504 years later. You are now in the 25th century. Buck, are you all right, Buck? Did you hear me? Buck? Had you ever, if you, if you if you're a huge fan of Buck Rogers, had you noticed that before? No, I, I never, I never made that connection. I, I did watch the Buck Rogers TV show, and it was repeated when I was a kid as well. It was on like TV at like six PM or something on BBC Two. Um, so I remember watching the show, but I never at any point went, you know, this this sounds like Faith No More. I'm not <laughs> sure oh, that was, um, yeah, that was that was a great Christopher Walken impression. It's okay. It's okay. It gets me by. If, if I need to like get into secure buildings that are voice activated by his own voice, then it's probably not going to work. But if I have to get into a scenario where I just need to be a bit of a Christopher Walken voice, then it it's all, it's hilarious. Whenever someone, uh, my my best mate Jeremy, shout out Jeremy, love to have you on the show. Does a great Christopher Walken impression. You know. Mike, it's crazy how I don't want to be on your podcast, but I am now. Um, and every person who ever does it always starts by saying, "You know, I'm not, I'm not even I'm not even going to come close to attempting it." It's, it's how you get in. It's it's like a New York accent. So he's, but he's not from New York. He's actually kind of a, he's from a traveling circus or something bizarre like that. He's a very very strange background. But if you do a kind of New York and you start with, you know, you, that's how you get in. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to embarrass myself. But it, uh, Sean McAuliffe, who's a hilarious uh, comedian in Australia, um, he does an impression. And um, the way he leads into it and everyone's just waiting. And um, I'm going to drop a little, uh, little clip of Sean McAuliffe in now just so everyone can appreciate that. Oh, I know the guy. He's, you know, that guy with the John stuff. Travolta. No, he's quirky. He's quirky. He's a cool guy. I like him. Hardy ha hard. Shall, and... shall I give you a hint? Yes. Sean Christopher Mc... Walken. It is Christopher yeah. Walken. Thank God. Thank God. I, I was I was almost going to have to do that impression. And I, I, and I swore I'd do it. Oh, that's an impression. No, yeah, no. Can you do it? Can you do it? No, no, no. No, no. The audience doesn't want to hear me doing it. No. <laughs> and uh, wrapping up on Sean McAuliffe and getting through these emails, um, uh, there's a movie called A Late Quartet. And if, if you haven't seen A Late Quartet, I always recommend it to people because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and Christopher Walken Great. in one film. And oh, wow. It's amazing. And it's about music. Well, it's about a quartet in New York. Why isn't this film just immediately shown to everyone who exists ever? Like you're born and you're given a name, they cut the umbilical cord. Now watch this fucking film, just slap it in people's faces. That sounds like it's going to be an amazing film. I'm going to watch that tomorrow. It was, it was around 2012, 2013. 
And so many people just never heard about it. And it's just one of those just amazing, awesome films that I love. And anytime I get on the topic of like favorite films, I just have to tell people about it. So yeah, let's remain topical. Uh, we've got Mark, Mark Caruso. Hello, Mike and Jim. Should be a question mark. Hello, <coughs> Mike and Jim. Hello, Mike and Jim. Thanks for starting the Angel Dust episodes. I go back and forth between Angel Dust and King for a Day is my favorite albums. My two favorite Ooh, songs. My two favorite songs are King for a Day and Caffeine. It absolutely blew me away the first time I heard it. A few of my friends went back to my house to listen to the album the day it came out and loved it. Thank God this shitty year is almost over. 2021 will hopefully hopefully be much better. 2021 hopefully equals being vaccinated, getting that orange piece of garbage out of the White House, and faith no more coming to Cleveland. Thanks, guys, for this great podcast. It is a lot of fun. It helps make this time easier to get through. Thanks, Mark Caruso one of the volunteers to trial the early stages of the vaccine. Yes, um, the anti-orange piece of garbage vaccine, it seems. Mm-hmm. Political. Mm-hmm. Mark, I'm just going to say to you, don't don't think of your life in, in years, and it thinks of it as that your life is in stages. Your life is a continuous thing. This phase of your life, which we've labelled 2020, which we can actually label December or January when you guys are hearing this, um, is just a phase. Relax. I'm warning you. Um, I think I'll stop riffing off lyrics from Caffeine at that point before Mark calls his lawyers. Or his mum, either way. <laughs> What's next? Do you want What's to uh, Do you want to do Antonio? Hang do on. I want to do Antonio? Do you want to do Antonio? And then we get tested for AIDS. Everyone has. Remember. You're familiar with oh, that yeah, song, my, aren't you? My, my, my band finish um, every gig we do with Everyone Has AIDS. And what, and people are usually, you know, a bit surprised if they don't know, get the joke or know it's from Team America. Um, one time I actually felt I needed to prefix singing it with the reason we do this is to raise awareness. It's still out there. It's still a very important subject. I've lost friends to this disease. Um, and we do, we do this in a joking matter to entertain you, but also to bring home a very important message. And uh, I'm sort of paraphrasing stuff that Rage Against the Machine say about their lyrics and why they're on a major label. <laughs> People often say, oh, if you're so independent, so like anti-corporate, why are you on a major label? So we can reach more people. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But there was one gig, some guy came up to me, and he really took umbrage that we'd sung it live. And he started having a go at me. And I was listening, I was, listening, I was trying to be sympathetic and be you know, empathetic and relate. So oh, I appreciate your opinion kind of thing. And then at, at some point, he just kept going, going, kept repeating himself. And I realized he's holding a drink in his hand. He's swaying and slurring his words. And he's just basically a drunk guy. So I said, can I just stop you there? And he said, what? I said, what on earth makes you think after I've done a massively long hour set entertaining you, I want to hear your opinions, you drunk piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he was so shocked he just stopped and I was able to pack up my keyboard and go thanks I'm going now and just leave because I do gigs completely sober I never drink before I go on stage because I went on stage drunk when I was doing stand-up and knocked my teeth out with a microphone wow yeah these are excellent me. so uh, yeah, oh that you go, kids learn things today you you hit your teeth that and I, I knocked my teeth out with a microphone drunk in 1999 rock and roll not really, just kind of blood and disappointment, <laughs> which is the title of my biography. Now, let's read Antonio Vergara's email. Okay, Antonio. Another Antonio. Greetings from, yeah, he's from Chicago. He's got a very wonderful um, 
Latin American sounding name, but he's from Chicago and I'm not going to do that accent. I'll just read it normally. Okay. Greetings <clears throat> from Chicago. I've just started listening to your podcast this week, which week Antonio, we can't see your calendar from here. <laughs> and thus far I have enjoyed it. Oh, it's about to go downhill for you, mate. To be honest, I skipped most of them after listening to the first four episodes and wondering where the fuck the angel dust episodes were. Yeah, Mike, where are the angel dust at here? I'll go back as I eagerly await the arrival of the caffeine episode, which for me will be an episode about the greatest song ever from the greatest album of all time. I, I can't argue with you, Antonio. I can't, but will. Concerning Land of Sunshine episode, I think you guys hit the point very well. The the way you make me feel bit was hilarious. It was, yes. if you didn't listen last month, go back and listen to that episode and you will discover a link between Michael Jackson, Faith No More, you didn't think was possible. And no, it's not a liking of children. We didn't say that. Call the lawyers. Shut up. I've seen Faith No More three times, and I was supposed to see them a fourth time this past summer, which, of course, all of us were. September 1992, May 95, and May 2015. God, 20 years between gigs. Faith No More, get out of bed more. <clears throat> all tremendous shows, the last of which we had a... You know, we had quite a big crew who all forked over exorbitant amounts of money to thieving ticket bots. Do don't like those scalpers. If there are any scalpers listening out there, kill yourself. Thank you. A little public service announcement by Mr. John there. As Faith No More started, we're all close to the bar area of this particular venue, Concord Music Hall, blocks away from my house. Oh, we know where you live now, Antonio. Careful. And we enjoyed Motherfucker. Love that song. From a distance with our friends and partners. But when Motherfucker let up to start Land of Sunshine, I couldn't stay back there anymore. And I immediately left everyone behind and headed straight for the stage and pit where I remain for the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about that song and its importance as the figurehead of a masterwork that compelled me to get as close as physically possible, even if it meant leaving my beloved wife behind. <laughs> he actually put this. I'm not making this up. This sounds like something I would have written. He's not me. So, mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. hello. Long lost brother or something. Anyways, thanks for the entertainment. Keep up the good work. And if I was to request you touch on anything in episode 23, it would be that intriguing Billy Gould N-Gove remix from the Metallurgy Volume 1 compilation, brackets, that a friend of mine was lucky enough to have found when we were in high school when it came out. So yeah, what's the story there? All right, then thanks again, Antonio Vergara. And there's something in his signature here. Um, I think this is Spanish. I'm not a great, ling- I'm not a cunning linguist. <laughs> but uh, in his signature, it also says, Paz en el Medio Oriente Hermano. I don't know what that means, but I reckon now I've said that, everyone listening to this podcast is really, really sexually aroused. It did sound good. Including Mike. You, um, you a Bill Hicks fan? Oh, dude. I, I, I went into stand-up comedy because of him. Discovered I wasn't as good and gave up. <laughs> Just you're uh, you're telling ticket scalpers to kill themselves. Reminded me of when he said yeah, anyone in advertising and marketing, marketing kill themselves. themselves, which is more valid nowadays because advertising and marketing is is more and more prominent. It's, that that message didn't sink in. Come back, Bill. We need you. Yeah, it really rung true for me. Seeing as for the last 15, 14, 15 years, I've been working in advertising and marketing. Mm. By the way, if anyone here is in advertising or marketing. Kill yourself. Oops. (laughs) We got. No, I'm joking. We've got another one from David Ball, my buddy David Ball, and the uh, the email subject uh, another another UK word. uh, Au revoir, au revoir, Jim. Another uh, of UK origin. Au revoir. Yeah. 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 
of wild. We say it all the time. Over I, I think that means. We say it all the time. Does that mean bye? It, it's for, yeah, French au revoir, and uh, it's literally mean at, at at the next time I see you. So it's not really goodbye. It's not go away. It's I'll see you soon. It's see you next time. Someone, someone French out there, do a better translation than I did. Au, au revoir. Yeah. <laughs> I joked earlier that croissant was a UK word, and so I was just sort of saying that avoir is also a UK word. The best jokes are the ones you have to explain. You That's should know right, this. Mike. Of course. So, David, I'll just continue. Don't tease me, fellas. The prospect of a podcast croissant sans Mr. Jim Brown? Could it be? Based on his vote, I mean, he's put a Mr. in front of his name, so it's sort of, you know, with something. I do. I do. What's wrong? Put yeah. a mystery in front of your name. It improves your life immediately. It's working so far. Could it be? Based on his vocal antipathy towards antipathy. I love that. Based on his vocal and, and would you say antipathy or antipathy? I'd say antipathy because that's how it's fucking pronounced. Good. Towards a certain incredibly handsome and talented bass player from Northern California who occasionally emails into the show. Um, David's talking about himself. Does Jim understand that it would annoy me even more if he stuck around. In all seriousness, I enjoyed the deep dives into both Jim Martin and Land of Sunshine. Mike, excellent work as usual. (laughs) I'll read that again. Mike, excellent work as usual, getting stems of integral parts, breaking down the musical moments that make the song awesome, and for your hard work. Jim, well, thanks for showing up and displaying a general lack of enthusiasm for the entire affair, which is too bad, because deep down, I absolutely respect the knowledge and insight that he brings to the show. Maybe a bit of a pause between this and the next episode would do us all well. Another prophetic email. Thank you both for introducing a new Tourette's-esque tick into my mental thought process. I now am unable to think of a person's name without thinking, shout out, person. Love to have you on the show. Honestly, it's one of my one of the most delightful bits the two of you have created, and I heartily support its continued use on the show. Thanks, David. That's that's fun. Shout out to David. Love David I just want to add in in terms of dragging people on the show. Um, Frank Quinn, who I mentioned in my story earlier on, shout out to Frank Quinn, uh, Frank Sickness Quinn, Frank the Butcher of Glasgow um, Quinn, mentioned on the back of the Chuck record. Um, <clears throat> I probably wouldn't drag him into the show or have him contribute because he just spend his entire time heckling me. Proceed. You asked about favourite pattern moments, and although I have many, I will share one that I did not personally witness. Well, do we save this for the pattern episode, or do we do it? No, let's do it now. Tool was touring with Tomahawk in 2002, and the tour came to Sacramento at Arco Arena, the then home of the then not shitty Sacramento Kings NBA team. Sacramento basketball fans are rabid, and for the briefest of windows in the early aughts, the team was not absolute garbage. The rivals at the time were the hated Los Angeles Lakers. Apparently, Patton comes out on stage wearing a Sacramento Kings jersey, and he grabbed the mic and asked the crowd, let's let's hear it for your Sacramento Kings. Zings, zings, zings. Imagine an echo delay effect reverb. No, I, I did it throughout the arena. To which the crowd appropriately roared with approval. Then Patton, in a gold star dick move, removed his Kings jersey to reveal a Kobe Bryant LA Lakers jersey underneath to the obvious disgust of the crowd. He then roared into the microphone, 
Can you say three, Pete? A reference to the fact that the Lakers were on the verge of winning a third consecutive title. The pure, unadulterated shittiness of that bait-and-switch was textbook pattern, and I was sad I couldn't be there to witness it. I've seen Patton with Faith No More, Bungle, Dead Cross, and Peeping Tom, and he never misses an opportunity to be a great asshole to the people who paid money to see him perform. I think we expect the shit talk and the abuse, honestly. It's what makes us Patton fans. Jim, I hope you stick around. Shout out, Jim. Love to have you on the show. <laughs> I never tire of hearing you casually name drop all the famous people in the Faith No More camp who you are lucky to call pals. Mike, I checked out 8BC and it rocks. Oh, he's talking about my band 8BC again there. That's nice. Yeah. 8BC and he said and it rocks. Yeah, that's my band. Yeah. And they're on Bandcamp, aren't they, Mike? They're on Band. Yeah. It's, I think it's just 8BC.bandcamp.com. Right. So people can go into Bandcamp right now and buy the 8BC record can't they yeah 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 and only just recently came out and they can go to band camp and yeah yeah no i appreciate that actually we, we mentioned world. last episode that uh if if people use the code croissant they can get it for just five bucks as well which is pretty cool if you just use the code croissant on anyway you're also a fairly handsome oh this is weird you're also a fairly handsome man must be the aussie dna he must have found someone else do they make ugly australians um Thanks for the insight and the laughs. Sincerely, David Boll, a.k.a. Jim's best pal in the world. Yeah, I've, I've got some notes it's on timely, that. It's timely, isn't it? Mike. Is it really worth telling an anecdote for something you were not involved in whatsoever? I mean, I heard there was a moon landing once. I'm probably not going to bring that out of my locker at a party. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, it's a good story, but if you were there. Yeah, okay, favorite, you know. favorite pattern moments that I – yeah, got it. Favorite pattern moments you heard LF somewhere else. <laughs> and secondly, do they make ugly Australians? Well, I happen to have um, evidence of, of this uh, particular um, fact. And if you remember the uh, 1990s and possibly still going today, I don't know, soap opera from Australia, because soap operas from Australia were huge in the 80s and 90s, big industry, probably, probably your biggest export, apart from Fosters and swearing and cricket. Um, and yeah, there, there was a, a chap in Home and Away called Alf, and he was ugly. Oh, Alf Stewart. Thanks, David. It's nice to hear from you. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up on this really interesting one from... Uh, it was a Facebook message. Um, we'll say that it's from Jay Allman. No, it's probably a bit obvious. Uh, let's say Jeff A. So, uh, yeah. Hello, Podcast Croissant. It has been evident to me that Jim has never really wanted to do this podcast. If I think back, I think he was maybe into it for three or four episodes. And it started to become clear that he was becoming annoyed by the whole thing. I always wondered if this was just my perception or if this was a joke or just shit talking. I still don't know whether or not it's really a joke that he's leaving. But I say good riddance. He drags the entire podcast down. I love Jim and I love listening to you together when he is engaged. I understand he does a lot of work for FNM followers and I love that. But I don't understand the need to be an asshole about it. He is a condescending little cunt towards you and the show. Everything seems to bore or annoy him. Like I said, he's great when he's on, but I don't feel like that's happened in a long time. I actually dread listening to the podcast because of his loud mouth and constant irritation and interruptions that amount to nothing more than pointless drivel. A podcast about my favourite band, and my least favourite of all podcasts. I was so excited when I heard there'd be an FNM podcast, but now it's really hard to enjoy it. I'm sorry, but I must be honest. 
I hope you can find someone who is truly passionate about doing a podcast about the greatest band to ever walk the earth. It's a great privilege to have such a mountain of information to pull from, and it seems as if it has been a struggle to find topics. W. T. F. Should be easy. Whoa, 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 whoa! Who's this Jeff dude? <laughs> well. I mean, most people I know find me to be an arsehole. That bit didn't offend me at all. And I know I irritate people, and I'm fine with that. I get kick out of it. Plus, Jeff, you might be pleased to know that I showed my wife your message, and she thought it was hilarious and agrees with her 100%. What <laughs> condescending little cunt? Dude, that's just mean. Even though that was actually my wife's favourite bit. Um, anyway, I'd like to address Jeffrey, the podcast connoisseur's email, if I may. So, firstly, I can't believe how angry Jeff is. There's like two years of pent-up aggression of having to listen to me destroy the only podcast about his favourite band. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm, dude, all I can do is apologise, mate. You know, you, you've waited so long for a podcast dedicated to Faith the More and you ended up with this shit. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Jeff, we do like to joke around. And I believe most people that listen to this do have a sense of humour and are aware that we are messing about most of the time. You know, we're just a couple of really good pals, just a bit like Mike and Jim from Faith No More. We've got a particular dynamic, so we like to ah. play with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dig it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, in short, I'm not really leaving. So if you decide to continue to listen, then you have more of my interruptions and pointless drivel to listen to. However, I, I did feel I was a bit hard on your last episode, Mike. A lot harder than usual. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just for Jeff, I'm going to spread a little seasonal joy and be extra nice to you today. Is that okay? Oh, you. <laughs> I liked how you, you got a little bit upset earlier when, when you read my email. Well, it was, it was nice. just that last bit about, you know, call, the, the call me. And, and to be honest, do you know what? I've been listening and you guys have done a fantastic job. Absolutely sterling job of uh, the episode so far. He's well an odd he's an odd dude, man. Who is? Mr. John. Oh, I can't believe he turned to Mr. John. No no. It's 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 slim pickings out there in terms of people who <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Anyway, I had to come back because we're talking about my favourite song of all time, my favourite Faith No More song on my favourite album of all time. So, in therefore, it must be my favourite song of all time. I've been nervous about this and I've, I feel like this has all been pushed back because I had too much preparation to do and I, I still don't feel like it's enough. This will be, be a good one. Yeah, I've done shitloads. I felt like I had to make up for last episode when I did no preparation. So I've Definitely one of the songs that's in both our top tens. Oh, yeah, Definitely. And your top ten is absolutely fantastic, Mike. Only mm, filled mm -hmm. with the the best Faith No More songs. That's right. Not a hint of any of comedic um, Australian songs at all. No, never, never. Anyway, uh, we are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about caffeine. We're going to talk about one of the greatest Faith No More songs of all time. Even though you already said that. Yep, we definitely are. But yes. I just want to um, start with a little bit more on the story of Angel Dust because while we do these episodes, obviously subjects are going to come up. Uh, and you did an absolutely fantastic job of introducing Angel Dust 
the story last episode uh, when oh, I, I so know. ashamedly couldn't be bothered. Uh, but I thought I'd just pick it up. During 1991, the members of the band found many different influences which they brought into their sound, which is part of the reason why the real thing and Angel does sound so different. So Patton obviously did the Mustard Bungle album and worked with Naked City. Mm-hmm. Bill recorded with Brugera. Is that how you pronounce it? I know it is. Or is Bru- it Brugera? Bru- 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 yeah. yeah. And obviously, Roddy was immersing himself in pop music and dance music at the time. He was very into uh, craft work. So, Faith No More went into Coast Recorders Studio in San Francisco uh, in the December of 1991. But, unlike the real thing, the music wasn't complete, but most of the lyrics were. Mm-hmm. Um, Patton had, and, and this is where Patton had separated from the rest of the band to spend time conducting various social experiments to get lyric ideas. We spoke about, obviously, the sleep deprivation thing in last episode, and it is also relevant to this episode. Yes. But also Mike Patton uh, would sit in cafes and in his car and listen into other people's conversations to get ideas from lyrics. And that is relevant mm. to caffeine. Mm. But I did want to just mention a bit about Matt Wallace, because uh, Matt Wallace obviously produced this album, his yep. um, fourth Faith No More album, and his final one until Sol Invictus. Mm-hmm. Faith mm-hmm. No More obviously spoke, said they want to use a different producer. We have covered that in the King for a Day episodes. But uh, Matt said in 2015, at the end of Angel Dust, because it was such a difficult re- record to make, there was pretty severe acrimony within the band, certainly between everyone and Jim. And there were some really heated arguments. Roddy was having his own struggles with some addiction issues. We were recording at a studio that wasn't really supportive at all. I had to basically produce, engineer, assistant engineer and answer the phones. It was all really stressful. So at the end of it, I took off for a couple of months and said, I'm done with this music making thing for a while. And at the end of that record, I said to those guys, listen, I think it's time for you to find a new producer, a new guitarist or both. So, yeah, I will pick up the Angel Dust story in next episode. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about caffeine! Have you had yours? <laughs> I've had, like, five coffees in preparation oh, go for you. my uh, comeback. My much-anticipated comeback. I do want to say thank you to everybody in those emails earlier that said they were going to miss me. Even, you know, my old pal David Ball. Even your he buddy my David Ball. He's my new BFF. Yep. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about caffeine. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about the right. Where do okay. we go from here? This song is not a song you can listen to once and write notes. I have oh, no. found this as much as I have listened to this song over and over and over again. There's so much going on. There's so many layers and so much to comment on that. You've got to listen to it like a thousand times to write notes on it. Did you like this song straight away? Yes, definitely. To me, this is the perfect example of all the best elements of Faith No More's songwriting. Hmm. It's got off-kilter, repetitive, hypnotic and chest-thumping rhythms. It's got brutal guitar riffs. It's got those sweeping cinematic keyboard melodies. Uh, it's got schizophrenic vocals that switch between chants, screams, and operatic voices, plus really intelligent, ambiguous lyrics. It's sombre 
and then euphoric. It's it's Faith the Mark, the most ferocious, and then it's it slips into that really uneasy calm, and that's that's the counter, that's the counterbalance that Faith the Mark got on this album. And I've always likened this song and maybe Midlife Crisis to the album cover and what the band said about the album cover. Uh, I'm just going to drop one more quote in here, mate. So the album cover was described, uh, well, the album name, sorry, Angel Dust was described as a really beautiful name for a really hideous drug by Roddy. And the idea for the, for the album cover came from Roddy. There's the snowy egret on the front. And then, You've got, obviously, the flip side of that is the cow's head and the the meat hanging in the abattoir. And these images and the title of the album illustrate the extremes of beauty and grotesque mirrored in the music. And I do have a quote from Mike Borden in Night Night 2. It has more to do with the band itself, the sound of the band, the sound of the record, the songs on the record, the title and the cover going from wide to narrow. The album is balanced, I think, between some things that are really aggressive and disturbing and then really soothing. The title of the record is something that, if you didn't know what it was, if you didn't know anything about drugs, it would sound beautiful. It's just something that seems beautiful, but it's horrible. The front cover is something beautiful. Put it with the back cover and you've got something really disturbing. That's what we wanted. A record cover and layout designed by us and put together by us. And I just think mm-hmm. Caffeine is a perfect accompaniment musically to the cover. And then I've, I've been managed to fit talking about the cover in this series of pod, of podcasts about Angel Dust because we want to try and cover every facet of the album, don't we? So of that's course. the cover done. Tick! This song quite often comes in, you know, fan votes, top ten. That old chestnut of the Faith No More followers song poll, it came number four out of 105 Faith No More songs. I'm not surprised at all. Yep. And it's it was number one in my top ten. And I think, was it in your top ten? I can it never was, remember your top ten. I do apologise. Yeah, and it was definitely, it was, uh, I think it was number three, because I may have put evidence as number two. I would like to mention, before we get into pulling apart the song, the drums, the uh, the vocals, etc., etc., the position that this song comes on the record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've always felt the first three songs on Angel Dust are like a triptych, like three chapters to a story or three movements to a symphony. Uh, they follow okay. on perfectly from each other, yeah. Uh, even though they have very different moods, but then RV breaks that kind of run. Sure, yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that I'm just thinking about right now is you've got Land of Sunshine, which kind of has, and this is where I think maybe it does, where it continues to flow, but still in, like, I, I completely agree with your point that sonically the three songs sit really well. But Land of Sunshine has that swing, whether you could, you see it as being in a 6-8 or a 4-4 four, four with a triplet feel. Caffeine's most certainly in 3-4, and we'll get to that. And then mm-hmm. even though Midlife Crisis is in 4-4, four, four, there's a bit of a groove behind the drums. Like it still still has a swagger and a swing to it. And then you go into RV, which I think, again, is in 3-4. So there is a bit of um, – there is still some motion. There's still some movement sort of happening as we yeah. go through. That's just sort of what's on my mind when I didn't want to sort of elaborate because I, I, I do completely hear that these three songs sit really strongly together. I do find on Faith on our albums as well, I mean, this is – for a second, I don't believe this is preconceived or anything, that the second song on each album is often one of the best on the album. 
Sure. Yeah. Or one of the most um, appealing, maybe not the best to uh, a schooled Faith No More fan, but maybe the the one that they might consider a single. They might. I mean, Caffeine was was not a single. However, it is a fan favourite, and the band did choose to play it um, in pretty much every gig, and then even on live, you know, as we will talk about the live MTV show. It could mm-hmm, have been a single. Mm-hmm. It could have been. Anyway, shall we talk about the um, musicality? Shall we g- go into the conversation that's so fantastically I- enriching to people's lives that, that you bring to this podcast? Shall we talk about that? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. And thank you so much for that introduction there, Jim. Uh, what I'd like to discuss first off is really the the odd, again, very similar to Land of Sunshine. See, when we arrive at Midlife Crisis, we actually take traditional song form. We end up with an intro and a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus. Midlife Crisis follows traditional song structure, whereas Land of Sunshine and Caffeine both have this sort of more progressive sort of movement to them, that there's really no feeling of a chorus in this one either because we were saying that about Land of Sunshine last episode. Mm -hmm. Even though you still get these melodic moments after the the verses, they aren't traditional catchy choruses as we know them and as Faith No More are capable of doing. Um, And I did write out the structure, but I don't feel that there's really a need to talk all the way through it, but just just in the way that it moves from the, the verses to these sort of odd bridges and... Yeah, these other sections before we get this insane interlude, which I'm sure that as we talk through the song, we're going to talk about. But the main thing that I wanted to start with really is the drums. And of all the instruments I can play or, you know, being a musician and, you know, dipping my toe in different instruments, I've I've never been good at playing drums. And over years of sort of songwriting, I've started to appreciate more and more just how much drums influence a song. And I think this song, as we get through it, we're going to end up discussing how much every instrument, again, as it always is the case with Faith No More, how much every instrument plays a really vital role. Very interesting. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can I just ask, how how do you dip your toe in an instrument? Well, I've got a guitar here, and even though you don't have a webcam, I want you to imagine that there's a hole in the middle of it. And if I'd put okay. my toe in there... Oh, and if you were talking about drums, you could put your toe in the um, you can put your the hole in the bass in the- bass drum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the, uh, yeah, no, the, I understand. the underside of a snare. You've got the snare wires. You could dip your toe into the snare wires. Uh, if they're too tight, you might have to back them off a little bit. Okay, but you know it is possible. Some some of the stands sometimes have a little some sort of gap or opening. Yeah, it is no, possible. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Would you consider that um, a annoying interruption and pointless drivel? No, I found it entertaining. Okay, brilliant. I, want, I, I mean, I Let's wanted go. to add that even sometimes with drums, you'll have a bit of moon gel uh, just to tone down the ringing. Sometimes if you hit a snare and you get, it's like ping, ping, and it's a bit annoying, you get this stuff called moon gel and you put oh. that on. It's got a bit of a sticky, tacky feeling to it. And I reckon if you dipped your toe in that, that could feel nice. Mm. The main exciting thing about the drums in this song is that the song is in 3-4. So yeah. there's one, two, three, one. Like a dun, dun, it's dun, a waltz. Dun, two, three. And that's what I was going to say. It's a waltz. Oh, I'm so here. sorry. I'm so sorry I interrupted that. No, no. And, it's, and this is this is conversation. It's the power of conversation. I was leading you as if we were waltzing in a conversation. Perfect. We're, perfect. We're, a perfect <laughs> metaphor. Missed you. So, <laughs> so <laughs> like, 
For example, the intro, and this is where I'm going to do some little overdubs that are going to start to happen in the background. But in the intro, you've got the snare. And and I think if you listen through, and after this episode, go away and listen to Caffeine again and start to notice all the things that we're going to bring up. But as you listen through, just do a sit of the 4 minutes and 28 seconds of Caffeine and just listen to the drums and pay attention it's mostly all kick and snare throughout the entire song and what the snare's doing as we move through the one, two, three. Because you can have, for example, you could go one, two, three, one, two, three, or you go one, two, three, one, two, three, or you go one, two, three, one, two, three, one. You get the, you get the vibe that it changes yep. the movement. And Mike Borden has done an exceptional job throughout the entire song of where he lands that snare and where the, the the feeling of movement is happening. So, like in the intro, the snare's landing on the three. And right before we go into the verse, the, the snare starts to land on like two, three, two, three, two, three, to sort of preemptively tell you something's about to change. And then we go back to the verse, and it's back on the three. I, I have noticed this, but... Mm-hmm. Until you've explained it like that, I've not put that together. You know, it's something you notice, but you can't put it into words, but you've perfectly described that there. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I appreciate that, Jim. And you'll notice as well in the section of the da 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 the kick, the, instead of having the snare land on the three, we get a, a tom roll. And there's this feeling of sort of falling as well. And it's sort mm-hmm. of, it again moves the feeling before we go back into another verse. Hi, everyone. It's Mike here in the final stages of post-production. And I've realized in this moment, I'm actually saying the wrong thing. And I'm explaining the wrong thing to Jim. What's actually happening through the make contact section is the snare is landing on the three and the one. And what creates the really cool momentum to it is the kick that lands just before the three and the kick that falls just after the one. But that that sense of the, the, the snare landing on the three because it's sort of bringing you forward and then you're landing on the one. So there's still this, there's this sense of anticipation. It's, it's, uh, it's similar to some of the other movements within the song. Um, but yeah, you can really, you can really hear the difference it makes here. Check it out. The guitar will, uh, accent the third note, I believe. And the bit that happens just before that, I've got this out of order. It doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter at all, Mike. The almost sweet talk. The, the accent preemptively lands on the three one to three one cafe. So throughout the song, and I feel as though I've made this pretty clear, Mike Borden continues to shift where that accent falls throughout that waltz and throughout mm-hmm, that movement. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think the hanging at MTV performance is so uh, appealing to to fans and why it's seen as one of the, you know, the most memorable and favorite of caffeine life performances, because they're in that really confined space. You know, the, the camera footage is fantastic and just Patton's just got this rocking backwards and forwards and movement. And he's almost 
his movement almost encapsulates that feeling that the drums are creating throughout the entire song. Yeah. Wow, um, yeah, yeah. Yep. Of course, did you know that the um, working title of Caffeine was Triplet? Oh, was it? Yes. Ah, there you go. But going, but going back to what you were saying, so if you do sit and listen to the four minutes, however many seconds of Caffeine there are, and listen to the just the drums, this is something that really surprised me. This is what I'm saying about you hear something different every time you go back. This is something that really surprised me, and I don't know whether it's something that you noticed. The drums are very similar to the drums of the song The Real Thing. There's a lot of rim shots. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's the same tom rolls. In the... Um, in the heavier sections. Yeah, in the heavier sections. And mm-hmm. you get that same space as well when the um, calm middle-eight section comes along. You get that same space. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah totally. I actually surprised myself by... by uh, realizing how much it reminded me of the real thing I dig it and no i didn't even mention the the uh the the rim shot or the the stick clicks the wow, yeah, what do you yeah. what do you call it is it stick clicks what do you call it when you rest you rest the stick on the in I mean, so it's not is it not a rim shot no um because a rim shot is when you hit the center of the snare really hard but also allow this the stick to oh, parallel okay. right. hit the side of the drum and you get sort of the most powerful sort of because I mean there's so many different ways you can hit a drum you can hit it dead center yeah, with yeah, the center yeah, of the yeah. with the end of the stick and you get one tone but if you hit it so that it sort of lands in this almost parallel hits the center and the rim of the drum at the same time you get a really powerful and that's how you get the most sort of powerful blast which Mike Borden does a lot of when he hits the shit out of it yeah, like in yeah. the interlude uh, there is uh, I'm, I'm sure it's just stick clicks. When you, okay. you're resting, you're resting essentially the butt of the stick in the middle of the snare, and then you tap the, the sort of center of the stick on the top uh, rim. And you'll see Mike Borden does a lot of that, and he does it very well. It's a tool that's used in funk and and jazz quite a lot. Yeah, totally. I will. I will. Rim click. Yeah, you're correct. Rim click. I've just googled click. it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I will close out and talking about the drums. I wrote to the drummer of my band, 8BC, which we've spoken about already. Fantastic uh, Ryan, band. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Ryan, shout out, Ryan. I'd love to shout have you on the show. Uh, I asked him, I put to him what I just said about the drums, about this movement of the snare and the, the landing on the different accents around the 3-4. Around the and he said, in terms of what is being played, I think you sum it up well. Two observations. The drummer is anticipating the beat, playing ahead of it almost, especially in the rim click sections. There you go, rim click. Rim click, yep. Well done, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. I like it, and I do this also. Second, the production reflects the high value placed on the drums as an equal contributor to the music. Each element of the drums are clear and cut through and also sound very human. Other bands don't do this and just focus on kick and snare. In this recording, there are some ride bell hits and accented cymbal hits, which really add to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this this feeling of playing just ahead of the beat also creates this uh, excitement. You know, yeah, he, like he's pushing it along, and that's a real uh, that's a real art of a good drummer when they can sort of either lag a little bit behind the beat and sort of create this pull feeling, or if yeah, they're- I- yeah, they can be totally, on top, they, totally and they agree. can be in the pocket, or they can be just slightly ahead, which is you know more known as pushing it. So, again, I think that's a kind of uh, funk dance um, kind of tool. That pushing, 
Yeah, I think you'll I mean, find a lot, lot of metal. The, the, oh, yeah. the very, it'd be like we listen to Metallica. They're totally on the beat every time. There's none of that. Yet that's Mike, where Mike Bordin's oh, African okay. training yeah, 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 sure. comes in. The mm-hmm. early training he had. And look, I think there's a tool across all music, especially in, especially in rock or any music with real instrumentation. When I say real, you know, uh, real traditional j- drums as opposed to electronic drums. But anytime you have musicians playing, you know, to create that excitement, you know, you push ahead a little bit, you know, and then when you want to sort of just lock into the groove, you know, you get a band like Caius and there's a lot of that pull where that just sort of falls back into it. So, yeah, I think we've, I think we've explained that enough. Well, I didn't uh, have that many notes on the drums, so I'm glad that you uh, really pulled that together. Thanks for that, Mike. Well, and, and you're welcome, Jim, and thank you for that acknowledgement. I suppose, you know, I'm so used to dissecting the melodic components and, you know, the instruments that, you know, I've dipped my toe into a little bit more. And uh, it was only mm-hmm. when I sort of stopped and thought, I'm going to just, just give the drums a little bit of attention. And it just opened, you know, a whole new world. I'm feeling quite jealous of your toe. It seems to be getting dipped in a lot of places. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, uh, you should... You should see That's my, one lucky toe. You should see my feet right now. <laughs> uh, should we talk about the bass guitar? Oh, sure. Bill's good, isn't he? Oh, mate. Absolutely out of this world in this song. It, it's not quite as prominent as Land of Sunshine. There's none of the slap. Sure, yeah. What we talked about in last episode about Land of Sunshine not really doing a good job to shake the funk metal tag. When it comes to caffeine, it completely shakes that tag. Yeah, yeah. The bass is, it's syncopated and it's got a groove, but it's not funky. It's it's just ferocious and it's just thumping. It's fantastic. I, I have a feeling that anyone who was a fan of, like, Surprise You're Dead would have perhaps mm-hmm. heard this one and gone, oh, I like that one. Even though this isn't fast in the same way. Uh, it's got it sort of reveals a a really strong heaviness that you're about to be exposed yeah. to on Angel Dust. Yes, definitely. Uh, but I do think that the most exciting part of the song, so that the, the the intense calm, that's when Bill shines. That's when Bill's playing shines, and he manages yeah. to change the way he moves his fingers. Yeah, 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 and yeah, 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 yeah. The, how much pressure he applies on the strings <clears throat> to build that tension. So, for example, would you mean like in the first round, after the first verse and Patton for the first time says, almost, sweet talk, cafe, and then it sort of builds up into the next verse. And every time when building it, are you talking about those sections? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the... Um, like I said, it's the pressure applies and the dynamics he uses, yep. and he and then he does change between different riffs, and the just the way that he builds that that section, it's all on Bill, it's all on the bass. It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it he he leans into it and hints at it right before we get a pretty, you know, a, a pretty short fill from Mike Borden before we go into each section. You know, we usually we get it like a double snare hit. You know, there's nothing that's sort of building mm-hmm. up too much. Whereas Bill gives that extended kind of hint that something's coming. Yes, 100%. Mm, 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 mm. What I think 
makes Bill's part so powerful in this song, and this is going to come up time and time again as we dissect things, you know, to this degree. And we we sort of understand that Jim wasn't as involved in the songwriting in, in this one, uh, on, on this album, and the the relationship of the guitars to the bass. Uh, spe- this song has influenced so much of my songwriting. This song alone and the caffeine just the main riff alone has played a huge part in how I write songs mm-hmm. and bass lines and guitar lines, the relationship between what Bill's doing. Did you have anything more to say about Bill's part specifically before I do that little venture into the segue of guitars? No, no, no. that's fine. So um, it's that time, kids, break out the old guitar. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Do you know, these are, these are some of my favourite moments oh, good, doing good, this good. podcast. When you know that I'm breaking the guitar out. Thank you, man. I appreciate that acknowledgement. And, you know, I just had to I appreciate pull- that you appreciate that acknowledgement. I appreciate that you appreciate that I appreciate that acknowledgement. Thank you. So, anyway. No, thank you. I just... <laughs> thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak about my favourite band and reach such a, a wide, diverse audience and be able to do it with such a fantastic chap as yourself. Continue, you. continue. Sorry, sorry. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. I'm no. Sorry for that interruption. I hope it wasn't considered drivel, Jeff. No, and look, if if, if anything, it actually gave me time to pull my toe out of my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the really fun thing is that <laughs> the accent on the one for Bill is... Uh, the low E. Now, you've got to remember, bass guitar is an octave lower than this, so we're going down lower than that by an octave. So, Bill's part goes. Whereas, Jim Martin's part is the opposite, where it's going. So, it's essentially, you've got the guitar starting on the high, and the bass is going low to high. So, ha <laughs> I forgot how to play. Can you dig it? Yes, 100%. Now, remembering that bass guitars are an octave lower than an electric guitar, if you have the guitar starting on that high E and the bass starting an octave lower, you start on this opening note with this big E, but they're essentially two octaves apart because the bass is, the guitar's gone high and the bass has gone low. But then when the guitar does the... and the bass is going up... They're actually going up to come together to actually go to the same octave and essentially be playing the same note. So what you're getting is on the big accent, if it's not clear, on the one, they spread really far apart, and then they come together. Can you dig it? Yep, I'm with you. Cool. Through the intro, there is no keyboards. Keyboards haven't happened yet. Um... We can talk about the other exciting components to the song in a little bit, but keyboards come in on the verse. Now, the keyboards do this really great descending thing, which... I'm just going to play it. And they do this really nice descending thing. Now, if I just invert that, essentially the the, uh, keyboards, and I'll keep this succinct because I do want to do a little post-production version of this, but the 
keyboards are just doing a descending G major, F sharp minor, uh, E minor. And the guitars through the verses do this, these great gym chords that we've talked about before where he'll only using two notes, you know, he can play that fifth chord or he can play a minor or he can also play a major. Just with two notes, he can imply those chords. Now, at the start of the verse, Jim does this great, uh, uh, so he does an E minor to uh, D major, and then he plays the E5 chord. Now, it doesn't matter if people don't understand those chords, and the, those who do, that's that's fun too. If you remember that the bass, and this is the other thing, the bass throughout the verse pulses on the E. So the keyboard has its own movement from the G and descending down. The guitar's doing its own thing coming from the from the E minor and blah, blah, we'll get there. So if I let this E drone out on the, uh, implying the bass, and then I also play the guitar and the keyboard notes all at the same time, you essentially get this And then we get. Can you hear those pretty, that pretty high note up there as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you hear all these things, and it finishes on this. Um, and then we've got the keyboard and guitar part playing together. You get. And that's the movement that's occurring through the verse. And it's only when you hear or when, you, you, when you're when you able to hear the guitar, especially the guitar and the keyboards played together, that you get the sort of full chords and full voicing that's playing throughout those sections. If, you, if it's one instrument on its own, you don't sort of get all that detail. do that a lot obviously and as we dissect songs i'm probably going to draw attention to those moments more and more oh, all okay the time uh and you know little post-production moments i'll include those two i did want to just mention about the guitar as well yes going back to what we we're saying about the drums that jim also in the in the uh, middle section puts in the same kind of noises that are in the real thing and I only noticed that on listening in preparation of this podcast. The same kind of like, yeah, like little... echoing noises that appear in the real thing. Yes. Dragging, he's dragging the side of his pick yeah. down the down the string, and uh, he's got a bit of delay on his guitar. Also, at the end of the chords, like almost sweet talk cafe, and he hits the big low E. He'll uh, grab his whammy bar and just go and lower it down. Yeah. I, I am surprised how many similarities there are between this song yeah. and the real thing. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing to point out because I hadn't noticed that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, the 
other section that I wanted to also point out this sort of same movement is that it was I in order to sort of assist because I've always been familiar with what I'm hearing I'm familiar with the guitar parts pretty well I've always sort of thought I knew what I could hear in the bass and keyboard parts but I actually jumped on YouTube and just watched a few people covering the parts just to sort of because you know there's the camera's right on the person rather than when you try and watch Bill and there's camera changes all the time yes <clears throat> and in this um in the make contact section, yep, people seem to just sort of think that it changes, it moves to A, and they just seem to. I'm pretending I'm on bass guitar right now. Mm-hmm. People think that he's playing this uh, A thing, but if you watch him either live or in the making of Angel Dust thing that's out there on YouTube and it was, you know, that MTV footage. There's like four hours of it, of them. Yes. Uncut footage. uh, Really fun to watch. There's the moment where Bill starts mucking around to caffeine and right before he sort of throws his bass and actually damages it a little bit. He, um, He plays through this section and you can see him playing. He's actually playing what looks like three uh three string chords so from the a to the octave of the a on the seventh fret and the fifth of that and he does like this now i don't think i've got the rhythm quite right and then it goes into the now in that section he's just strumming away at the a so much like the intro on the verses where he's hanging mostly just on he does play a few notes on fills but in the verses he's playing just on e in this section he's playing just pretty much the a until he comes out of it so he's hanging on the a and we get a very similar thing from from jim and roddy you've got jim playing and he hits it he accents it on every third beat so it's like this uh And Roddy is going. So together you get this. And they both sort of land on that G. And then this is where Bill and Jim come together on this really great. And the really interesting thing about that little that little leady bit, aside from the fun component, because what creates the tension or the excitement too is you've got Bill just droning away while Jim's doing a more melodic thing and they're sort of separated and then it's really cool when they come together and play a riff. Um there's this little little ditty, little motif, whatever you want to call it, where they do it in this sort of cycle of three two-on-ones. It goes, that's three, that's two, that's one. Have you ever noticed that before? I haven't, and due to your professional skills on presenting on this podcast, it's brought new light to um, the... Uh, 
marriage between Bill's bass and Jim's guitar. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely welcome. And that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people probably wouldn't have noticed that sort of three, two, one movement. And it's a, it's a hard little bit to play. And, uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's fun is, you know, I mean, we can come back to talking about what happens in the interlude, but when it, so when it goes to that section coming out of the, um, uh, you'll grow out of it. And then it goes into that, um, believe anything anyone ever says about you. Yeah. Jim Martin through that whole section actually just plays that riff. And just keeps cycling over it. And it's really, it's actually as a guitarist really hard to play along to because it's kind of got this really loose feel to it. And then again, Bill joins him for the last one, which is what makes it all come together. We want to talk about the interlude here. I, I feel as though I am I am complete with, you know, I mean the oh the the. There's a bit of fun. Oh 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 oh. The other section I want to talk about. Uh the. That little section there. What's the uh, what's the lyric in that section? And it rolls off the tongue so close. Stop it now. Better unsaid. So what's a um what's a really cool no, little that, thing about that section? It, is it? Two is that it lands on the uh, D because because the key part of the song is working around the E. Anytime they're hanging on the D, you just want to come back to the E. Every time it goes to the D, you want to just go back to the E again, right? And mm-hmm. in that riff, what's fun, one thing that's fun about it is that Bill plays da 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 and he just goes, right? Mm-hmm. He just plays one note, whereas for every one note that he plays, Jim plays two. So it goes, da, and Jim goes, and he's resolving to the same note that Bill's on, but it just sort of completes it. But what's really fun about it too is that the chord that it's playing there is this kind of, I mean, it's a B B major, but it's sort of implying a B a diminished, I think it is, B, B, it doesn't matter. Sorry, everybody. B7 diminished or whatever. But by doing that as well, because of this note that's here being an E flat, it's really pushing for when it goes to the D and then it mm-hmm. goes... You know what yep. I'm saying? Like yep. that suspension, it's really hanging and then it resolves as well. Um, just all these little little tricks that they throw in because I don't believe that, that – I feel as though that B – and I apologize that I'm not better with music theory, but that's what someone would probably call a borrowed chord and say where that comes from and be able to explain that better. But that just throwing that little chord in there from the D – Like it always creates that you know, that tension before the release, tension and release. And this song is loaded with tension and release. It certainly is. Yep. yep. And that completes the component of keyboards related to guitars and bass. I think we should talk about the interlude unless you had something else you wanted to 
move to? Uh, no, well, we've, we're, when you're talking about Roddy's keys, it's the first sample we hear in a Faith No More song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who I had a bit of a heated discussion about the intro. Um, it could have been you. This may sound familiar, or oh. it might have actually been Adrian Hart, author of the that fantastic book, Small Victories, The True Story of Faith No More. Um, anyway, I decided to clear this up. So I sent Roddy an email and got a response from him. And... Whoever I argued with said that the sounds at the beginning were monkeys when I always professed that those sounds were dogs in like a kennel or a, a dog mm-hmm. pound or something. But I, anyway, it, I, you, it wasn't you and I, but I always okay. thought it was, I thought it was a, a farm. I thought it was like chickens or something. And then like a cow goes moo. Mm. I sent an email to Roddy to clear this up. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Roddy replied that, yes, uh, I am right, and I don't want to make a big deal out of it, because <laughs> I am often wrong. But yes, it is sounds from a dog pound or a kennel, that, and they weren't recorded on the DAP machine that Matt Wallace gifted to the band. He found this sample on a, a weird sound effect CD, as he puts it. There you go. Straight from the bottom's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe it's taken 23 episodes to have that one. That was pretty, yeah. yeah, it was a fantastic joke as well, Mike. Really, really Thanks. funny. Thanks, Jimothy. It, it, now, it is the first sample we hear in a Faith Amar song on, on Angel Dust, and it's the only sample in the song. However, when this is played live, Roddy adds a different sample during the breakdowns, and to me it sounds like a, a, a gunshot or an industrial noise. It's quite low in the mix, but you can definitely hear it in that live on MTV performance. Is that like the... Yeah, yes. Yeah, I don't know whether it's a... It sound, might, might be maybe a gun cocking and firing or an industrial noise or something. Now, as I listen back to Caffeine, this is something I maybe should have asked Roddy as well, but I think it might be in the mix, but really, really low. Ah. Like, almost unhearable. But I think it might be there. I might be wrong. I've listened to it many times to try and and pinpoint if it is definitely there, but I I think it might be there. But I'm not sure. Well, I will point out to you that it isn't the only sample. Oh, okay. There is another sample in there. Please elaborate. In the interlude. Right before it goes okay. batshit crazy. Patton says, have you got something to tell me? Say yeah. something. And right as he says anything, in the left ear, it's very specifically in the left speaker, you hear it go, and there's like a t- like tearing paper, just like this. Could that be this sample that I'm talking about? I Do you don't think, think it could so. be a, a, because, an element of that? No, because I've seen live footage and I don't know if it was the hanging at MTV, but there's definitely this weird kind of. Psh, puk, yeah, psh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And Roddy sort of cycles over it, but it just happens once when he says, say something. And as Patton says anything, you will hear this like. Whoosh. And then after. I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm fucking you. I'm warning you. 
you then hear this right is you know how the drums kind of do this great fill just to kind of like it goes and it all softens again yeah. right as it abruptly softens you get this this tearing sound against and I was able to use that same uh, software as I did last episode that didn't work out fantastically well, but it, it still gives you something that you can listen to. And when you pull the drums and the bass out, it does highlight it a little bit more. So I will drop that in just as a, a little special treat, little podcast croissant treat. San Francisco treat. <laughs> treat. Yeah, for you. Very kind. Uh, yeah. I think there's more patches in the recorded version, more sounds mm-hmm. that the keys use than there is live. I think live, Roddy just uses the one string sound, yep. the string patch, whereas on this recorded, he's, you've got that kind of like atmospheric voice sound yes. underneath. Yeah, yeah. So like from around about one minute ten, something like that, I wasn't sure whether it, it there was also a a kind of over the top of this string sound, a kind of like, it's not a xylophone sound, but like a kind of bell sound. And do-do, do-do, do-do. But I don't think it's there. I think I just hear it. I think I, mm. it's, it's my mind playing tricks on me when I listen to it. Because I don't actually think it's there the more I listen to it. But I always sing it in my head when I'm listening to the song. Yeah, right. There's uh the first cycle, the first couple of cycles around it is more of just the traditional sort of string sound that he was using. Yeah. And yeah. then on the third time around when so Patton's vocal sort of yells for the first two lines and then he starts singing so hide your face in the curtains line. There's an extra keyboard that comes in there and it's more that angelic voice sort of sound and that that comes in yeah, on the yeah, that comes yeah. in more in the sort of right ear. It sort of adds to the space. And just sort of helps lift the section a little bit. So I have noticed Mike, that. Do you need, do you need to it. just pause for a second and have a drink of water? Because you sounded like do a I sound horse croaky? in your throat. Yeah, I, I've lost my voice today. I'm, I'm just concerned about the, <clears throat> you know, you use your voice uh, as part of, you know, your, your, your ability to to create art. And I don't want it to get too strained. So just have a break Thanks, and have Jim. a drink. Okay, look, I'll just have a quick drink of water. But you're right, I've, I'm a little bit hoarse tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. If we can just now turn to... The end of mix, which has been brought up in emails quite successfully and quite eloquently by some of our um, listeners. Yes. It was a remix done by Bill, released in 1995 on the Metallurgy Volume 1 CD. Oh, see, I always said Metallurgy. Metallurgy. Okay. Metallurgy. Okay, that, that's that's a perfect... No, that's the way it should be said. My, I, I foolishly pronounced it differently. Well, now, if you're a metalhead and you get a cold, you could say that you have a metallurgy. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, by the way, did you like the way that I, I edited in a kind of Land of Sunshine extra laughing on last episode? Did you Did you enjoy that? Yes, yes, I did. I really appreciated the extra work that you put I in. might do it there as well. That'd be good, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? Okay. Yeah, go for it. For sure. Okay. So the reason I bring up this mix now is because if you listen to that mix, you can hear Roddy's keyboard fantastically. Yes. I did reach out to my old pal, Bill. <laughs> you know, I do bring something to this show. Fucking Jeff. Sorry. No, <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> uh, and Bill actually yep. put this together in 1992. 
during the Angel Dust sessions. Oh. Um, using uh, Studio Vision, he said, a long extinct bit of software. software. Yeah, right. And, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he did it in his basement. And he tells me that the name Engove comes from Brazil. It's a herb you can get from the pharmacy and you take it when you don't want to get hangover. That's the legend, he puts. You bloody legend. That's such a... I'm stoked in knowing a little bit more about that. Because mm-hmm. we know very, we know very little. We know that Bill did it, and that's about it. We, we always, we always do strive in this during this podcast to bring people tidbits of information. I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for that. what you bring to the podcast, Jim. Oh, th- thank you, Mike. Mm. Thanks, Mike. I mean, I was gonna introduce that as an FM fact, but I think that is now a section that we may run in the future with uh, Mr. John. Yeah, well, Mr. John invented the FM fact. Of course, he did. Somehow, yeah, he did. Somehow, in yep, some sort of no, time right. warp. Uh, love to have time. you on the show, Mr. John. Not. <laughs> and now, and, and and what I want to say about Engove too is when I first, because I, when I saw that Faith No More were on that box set and it just happened to be in my local CD store when it came out, I listened to it excitedly and was kind of disappointed that it wasn't a Real, let's say a real Faith No More song or a new unheard Faith No More song. But it made me appreciate the keyboards because I sort of, as a kid that didn't listen that hard to music and was more into pattern and the guitars, the keyboards were sort of a secondary instrument. And so to mm-hmm. hear the keyboards, it made me appreciate, is that what they're doing? You know what I mean? Because yeah. it, was, it yeah. was sort of almost like they were overshadowed by everything else that was happening in the song. So, yeah, I actually- I think- it's yeah, a precursor to the um, youth remix of A Small Victory. I would have said that if this was done during the AD sessions, it was done mm-hmm. before youth got his hands on A Small Victory. Yeah. And it yep. maybe inspired the band to do that remix. Yeah, Because sure. Bill thought, oh, this is this could be a, something exciting. Jim must have heard it and uh, loved it so much. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, loved. I'm sure he did. Because didn't Jim famously hate the... Yes, he Small did. Victory yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, well, uh, do you know what? That's something for another episode, Mike. Okay. Sorry to be uh, to interrupt. Yep. Okay. And one last thing I'd like to say about keyboards, if I may, is uh, that great sci-fi sounding melody over the make contact bit of the song. Uh, sci-fi. Yeah, it reminds me of some kind of like science fiction movie soundtrack. Yeah. Okay. And it's really, it's the really uplifting bit of the song, and I think that's Roddy's. Uh, contribution to this fantastic favourite Faith No More song. That bit, it, when it gets to the main content yeah, yeah, of yeah. neck, it's the it's only kinda, part of the song that, that gives you any sense of hope because it's quite a, 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 um, an aggressive, sombre song. Yeah. It kind of changes the mood slightly, and I think that Roddy's keys are the major player there. Uh, I, I do know what you mean because it's kind of got that whistly synth, synth mm-hmm. ringing, a ringing synth sort of tone. Yes, yep, yep, tells you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get the, I get the sci-fi thing. I do. I never. I didn't sort of reference that in my mind, but I know the sound you mean. Hmm. Uh, before we move on to, because I, I suppose we would want to move on to talking about 
vocals at some point. We have uh, sort of glossed over the the interlude and the fact it does okay. move out of 3-4 to 4-4. Four, four. Okay. I did not notice that at all. That's amazing. I'm interested. Very interested to hear this. Yep. Please, okay, please. so... Um, let me. I'll, I'll do. I'll do a little sort of drop in overdub of this. But you have a listen. Patton goes. It's so easy for you. Yeah. There's always one thing, and it switches to four four when it moves into that riff. Heavy section, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm fucking you, I'm warning you. That's all 4 4. And then when it comes back, it drops back to 3 4 with the original. And that's, it's funny that you say that you've never noticed that because it's so skillfully done that you, you, that, that's good time changes, you know, when they don't stick out at all. You know what I mean? Like most songs are conventionally in three, four or four, four, but when a song's actually got an unusual time signature, that's a well-written song. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. My Wave by Soundgarden. Right, yep, five, familiar. Five, four. Yep. Fuck, I hope I'm right. I'm sure the main... <laughs> um, dun, 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 Is that it? Whatever. Go listen to My Way from Soundgarden. I'm not even going to drop it in. Uh, should we talk about okay. vocals, pattern? Lyrics, melody? Yeah, yeah, everything. definitely. Yeah, um, I'll start off this section if that's okay oh, with you, Mike. By all means, by all means. So there was a, a review of Angel Dust in Music Express in 1992. And I do like this line. He actually sings, obviously referring to Mike Patton, crooning style on caffeine, sounding a bit like Sly Stone trapped in a one-man submarine. <laughs> yes, odd. Right. This is Patton at his best, vocally, Lyrically, pattern, 1992, crouching on the floor, growling, spitting, operatic outbursts, schizophrenic. This is this is super pattern for me. For me, it's almost like an Everest, lyrically. Yes, but very well described. Perfect, thank you. No, thank you. I, I really, I, I felt as though there was very little I could add to that exceptional description you just did uh so i just well, th- well you know, thank, really you, just, I, thank you more than anything i just wanted to bookend it okay Patton's delivery on this is just out of this world i haven't even dissected his delivery of the vocals on this mm-hmm. because i can't because it's just it, it bewilders me so much how perfect this is so on, I, I haven't got anything to say on his vocal singing style or anything if you have That'd be fantastic. I can I can interject when I find something, but I do have quite a lot to say on the lyrics. There's nothing in particular that I want to point out because it's so exceptionally. And what I, th- I think what's awesome about it is he was he was just having a good day in the studio. There's just there's magic throughout the entire performance. 
the verses, the screaming, the shouting, to the to the sort of singing melodic, uh, sort of drawn out, you know, almost nasally at times, um, you know, the yells, and then obviously the the intent, you know, the spoken bit, and you know, and the other thing is too. Post the real thing, it's, we started talking about it a little bit in Land of Sunshine. This is where we hear, this is where we really hear Patton sounding like a man. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, relax. It's just a phase. You know, the, the the this sort of low spoken voice, and then when he's screaming the "I'm warning you" and that really shrill high "I'm fucking you" bit before the, the before the and, and, and incidentally. The first time Mike Patton drops the F-bomb. Oh, in, does, uh, a swear, does a swear word. Aside from wipe my butt and piss me, I think was about as rough as yeah, it got back yeah, in the yep. day. Yep. Mm. yep. That's true. And I remember noticing that as a kid. I thought that was cool. Swear words. Swear words as a kid. Mm-hmm. So yeah. cool. I think that's the only reason I liked Guns N' Roses <laughs> yeah. to begin with because, because of the swear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I just said that I wasn't going to pick it apart, and then I sort of, as I talked through, started to pick it apart a little bit, but the entire performance of this particular song is exceptional on the recording, and um, it is, and it's peak pattern, and also to the point that live, it's almost always a certain, it's almost always a sure thing. Yeah, 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 always, oh yeah, always delivers it perfectly live, yep, I have to agree. Mm. Uh, yeah, dude. Jump into lyrics. As I mentioned earlier in the intro, Patton's time away from Faith No More in 1991, he would sit in his car in public places and in uh, cafes, etc., listening to strangers' conversations. And, of course, we get this, uh, how the lyrics were arranged during his sleep deprivation experiment. Um, So they were likely written whilst he was in some kind of delirium. Attrib- unconsciously after the fact he, he attributed some meaning to them uh, I've always read into these lyrics about a character who str- struggles fitting in with society maybe a mirror of Patton himself or someone who has a split personality maybe about addiction that's a possibility or about the kind of person that would have caffeine withdrawals and then have a cup of coffee and the headaches go and they're ready to go again I mean, I have read people's interpretations about it being possibly about the trappings of fame, or I've even read someone say it was about struggles of a, a gay man coming out. So hmm. it could have been, you know, inspired by, by Roddy's situation. You know, Roddy at the time was struggling, not with his sexuality, but he did come out at that time. And he also was, you know, this is the beginning of Roddy's struggles with drugs. So, it, you know, it could have, re- it, it, you know, had some kind of reflection on that. Sure. I must admit that I've never contemplated this particular song and what it's about. It's so mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found a quote, which I didn't read out last episode from Patton. Mm-hmm. And again, it is about this, this sleep deprivation experiment. I stayed up for about three or four days straight. I basically wrote the entire song in delirium. You get weird dizzy spells for about 10 or 15 minutes and then feel really weak. And then I'd feel great again. And the great thing about that is after you go through a spell of feeling really weak, no matter what time it is, you can convince your body that it's morning and it's time to start over again. What I would do is at three in the morning or something, I'd fix eggs, take a shower and act like it was morning. And it totally works. 
You Can Really Fool Your Body. It's just a pretty delirious song, a dirge, a droney funeral thing, and it's not really conscious. So that's him describing caffeine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, But mm -hmm. Matt Wallace also commented, and he said he'd stay up for three or four days at a time. He'd come in and say, okay, I'm ready to sing the vocals. I've been up for three days and drinking all this coffee. I told him to just get some sleep and come back in. But he goes, no, I want to do this while I'm in this state. Which I think is fantastic. That he, you know, it's like a method actor. I think you mentioned method earlier on. You know, it's it's like a method actor. Yep. You know, being that committed to the role, and Patton did the same I thing. I never thought that he actually sung in that state, though, or sung. Well, with no rest. there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Now I obviously now I'm working in a school. I have access to a lot more knowledge. I can tap people. So I spoke to one of the English teachers at school called Jason. Oh, yeah. Shout out, Jason. Yeah. Love to have you on the show. Yeah. And it, I, I can't believe this. He turned out to be a Faith No More fan. Oh, uh, like one legend. of the English teachers. Yeah. I know. I know. And I just sent him the lyrics and said, oh, would you mind just commenting on this? I want, what I wanted him to do was comment on the prose of it. You know, if there were any poetic devices. Hmm. However, he did want to um, say something on the uh, the meaning of the lyrics. So this is what he sent me. Cool. I'd almost forgotten how good and bizarre Faith No More were. In terms of the meaning behind the lyrics, I would concur, because obviously we had a conversation about this, it seems like a montage of almost hallucinogenic images that someone with sleep deprivation might imagine. The lines of direct speech, I believe, are quotes from people Patton overheard in a bar, perhaps talking to him, perhaps not who may be, in his mind, criticising him. There's probably little in the way of coherent analysis to be found here. I just see a theme of struggling to be yourself in a world where everyone is judging you, and the song is full of metaphors suggesting insecurity and having to hide behind a mask, like in the first verse. I would say there is an extended metaphor throughout of hating being judged and wanting to speak out against this, but feeling unable to do so. Rolls off the tongue, almost. Better unsaid mumble under your breath etc which all show a frustration of not being able to voice one's frustrations i guess sleep deprivation would inevitably breed those feelings of hostility and animosity the random jumping from subject to subject is a stream of conscious structure designed to mirror his thoughts dark but clever stuff thanks for that jason yeah that was good stick down your fucking pipe and smoke it you <laughs> fucking Lost my cool there for a second. Good, good. Yeah, now I'm fine. I'm fine. Yep. But I I do want to move on now to this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's a perfect opportunity to discuss this. Okay. Mike Patton's obsession with coffee, his uh, addiction to coffee. Okay. So the the, small victories, the the fantastic book by Adrian Hart starts with a coffee metaphor. Have you have you ever noticed that? No. No, I've read the book. Okay, once. go go back and read it. I'm not yeah. going to read I it out now. Re- but I should reread you, it. It's the it's, it's like the first thing in the book. Ah. Now, um, I think it was Roddy that once said that Patton's only vice was coffee, and that was way back in the, the real thing time. Uh, and then Bill mentioned it in a podcast recently. I I apologise. I can't remember which podcast it is, but Bill said something along the lines that Mike Patton would drink coffee before he went to bed. It got to a stage where Patton couldn't rest, couldn't sleep without drinking coffee. Oh, yeah. It yep. became that much of a, 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 an addiction for him, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of quotes here from Patton where he does refer to caffeine. 
And there's, there's one here from... It's not so much a quote. It's part of a conversation from 1992. I need caffeine! Patton blurts out. He races to the door and orders a big latte served in a cup the size of King Kong's cereal bowl. I did this experiment, he explains, depriving myself of sleep just to see how long I could go. He swears he only used coffee as a stimulant. So this this goes back to everything we've just been saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, another 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 quote. I actually can't remember where I got this from, but it says Patton's cup is empty. He's drained it. In Eureka, you drink so much coffee. You try to make believe there's something to do. He says, remembering his home time as being comprised of hippies and loggers. Mm. Does that even make sense? Does that even relate to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I gather that yeah, Patton yeah. likes his coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, just a few quotes there I just wanted to throw in. Throughout Patton's career, there's so many photos of him with a coffee cup in his hand. You know, I mean, you've got that great 1992 interview. I believe it's in Helsinki. It's Pip Dan, I think she was called, on MTV, interviewing the full band. And Patton's just keeps getting his coffee cup filled through the entire interview of, like, two hours. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so, anyway, that is... What I've put together for the lyrics of Caffeine, my favourite lyrics, my favourite vocal performance by Mike Patton. If they had released this on single, which we discussed earlier, they haven't, it would be vinyl that I would place between my cheeks and, and, and rub up and down the crack of my ass. It would definitely be one of that kind of moment. Um, I could even say that, you know, the little hole in the middle of vinyl? Yep. Yeah, where you you know you place it on. I would if my penis was that small, which it isn't. I could sure. definitely make love to that vinyl. Yeah, tenderly as well, not aggressively, very tenderly. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have it played at my funeral, but I've already made arrangements for "Surprise You're Dead" to be played. <laughs> and on my gravestone, I've already arranged for "You're Perfect." Yes, it's true, but without me, you're only you to be written on the on the yeah, gravestone. So. Perfect. Um, I'm sure my wife won't mind um, me letting the listeners know this. On the bottom of my wrist, I've got a tattoo, which is the wedding date of my second wife. Uh, Lauren is mm-hmm. my third wife, by the way. Um, and this is completely true. I've got the wedding date of my... And I don't know why I ever got it, it uh, tattooed there. Very ridiculous thing to do. Mm. And I've considered getting a, a tattoo, starting there to cover that up, and going all the way up my arm of all the caffeine lyrics. Wow. Did you say third marriage? Yes. I mean... I am a condescending little cunt, so that's why, you know, women tend to divorce me quite often. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, as much as Patton's addicted to uh, caffeine, you're addicted to marriage. I'm a bit like Ross from Friends. Just happens, you know. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's all I've got to say on the lyrics for Caffeine. Um, did you have anything to well, add? Well, and one thing that I did just have in my notes, uh, I want to thank Ben Brown for pointing out that Florida man, Ben Brown, I want to just thank you Yo, for pointing out love to have you on the, the show. Rhyming, rhyming structure. Well, just it's just it, it's unusual, and I'd not really noticed that, that he's sort of rhyming twice per line, um, you know, and he does mm-hmm. so in Midlife Crisis, and it's just, yeah, it's not something that I'd, I'd picked up on. And- if you go to that same footage I was talking about before where we see Bill playing in the studio, he's jamming mm-hmm. along to the guide track uh, where obviously the drums and bass were tracked together. And I can't remember if you can hear guitars and keyboards in there already, but you can hear a guide vocal. 
And so Patton's singing along and he's just kind of, his vocal's pretty terrible actually. And it's interesting because it's noticeably younger. Um, it doesn't have the maturity of the final vocal. But the lyrics that yep. we hear are uh, mumble a jackhammer under your breath. And then he goes, why are you hiding your face in the curtains? Yeah, that's the same lines that he uses in the live versions, which we're going to talk about very shortly. Cool. And um, I'll, dro- I'll drop in a quick sample of that because it's interesting. He obviously refined the lyrics, even though... Yeah, yeah. Which I would imagine that that he'd already done the sleep deprivation experiment, or maybe, it, or he was yet to. Do yeah, it's it. just it's just refining, isn't it? It's refining just putting it. the final touches to it. Yeah. Would you say that he did the sleep deprivation and refined those lyrics because obviously they existed for a while? Oh right, yeah. That's not. Yeah, that brings yeah a different um, piece to the puzzle, doesn't it? Because if he did the sleep deprivation to write these lyrics, he did the sleep deprivation early 1991 not as he was going into the studio so maybe it's something that was ongoing for him maybe he did it quite a lot yeah possibly but you do hear um now i can't remember the lyrics okay so the first cycle around it says he sings make contact and then the second time around he sings hide your face in the curtains no no make contacts in the middle of the song. Make Sorry to correct you. No, 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 I appreciate that. So the first time around in the... Hide, in the it's uh, poor shame all over us hard into a crust. It's a man. Forget yeah, the for, glamour and mumble, jackhammer under your breath. Jackhammer under your breath. Hide your yeah, face there it is, in the curtains. Cool. So that's the first time around. Said, so, so he's... And then in the studio footage, Bill goes into the interlude. So... Mm-hmm. Obviously, oh, what okay. we're hearing in the studio is Patton doing a second verse. So he's pulled lines from in these ideas. So it could have been that these couple of lines just existed, and you know, during the sleep deprivation experiment, he sort of pulled them together, or he did it another time. But yeah, I mean, you do hear sort yeah, of the yeah. unfinished lyric, and that's sort of all I was really wanting to point out as I dropped the sample in. Okay, well, that's all I've got to say on the lyrics and on Mike Patton's performance. Me too. Yeah, um, I do apologise if that went on for quite a bit, but as most of our listeners will know, you know, this this song is very, very dear to our hearts and we did want to do it justice and talk about it quite some t- for some time. Yeah. I, feel, I, I feel good about that. Yeah, I do too. And I, I feel good that you feel good about it. That makes me feel right, good. Right, should we move on to the live performances of this song? Yes, I've just referred to Setlist FM, like I do in quite a lot, a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's the seventh most played song live out of all the catalogue. Does that make, did that make sense? Seventh most, most played, yeah. Yep. Uh, yes. Only yeah, seventh? I, I yeah. would have thought higher. Well, it's there. Mm. Well, this is called Setlist FM, of course. Mm. There's no era when Faith and More didn't smash this song. In my opinion, Jim, 
Dean and John all do it justice. Yeah. It was first played, as we have mentioned before, uh, in September 1991 in Brazil. And if you've listened, have you listened to that performance, any of those early performances? Yes. I mean, I think there's the one from Tokyo. It's really interesting that Jim's guitar part has... Little lead breaks in the verses. Yeah, yeah. There's some really cool melodies and cool yeah. riffs that he doesn't play yeah. on the recorded version or thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when you know, this early incarnation of the song was being played live, Jim did some really cool bits in it. And I think at this point, when they were playing this in 1991, Jim was still heavily invested in the band and still, you know, I don't think the break between them had really occurred yet. I think that kind of came towards the end of 1991. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't heard that, guys, go away, have a listen to it. There is a, a th- that is performance, the first one, um, from September in Brazil that is out there somewhere and also the there's one from Tokyo And it's really interesting because I think, was it somebody in F&M Friends said that the structure of it was a mess? I think it was Matt Thompson. Shout out, Matt. Love to have you on the show. Um, I think Matt said that the, the uh, structure was a mess. Or did you say the structure was a no, mess? No, it wasn't me. I do recall that being said. I mean, I, I thought it was fairly similar. It was just that Jim was doing those lead breaks and Patton sings it a bit differently. Yeah, um, but the feel of it's there for sure. Mm. It's been a long time since I've listened to it. There is a much more rare version from Day on the Green from 91. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had that on cassette tape and I've never seen that online. Yeah, so I wouldn't mind having another listen to that one as well. Yep. Mm. Yeah, so in 1992, they played the song 85 times. And, of course, the most obvious performance to talk about is from Hanging on MTV. Yep. That that little set of four songs, the caffeine performance included on Video Croissant, which we um, so cleverly took out. Well, no, I apologize. Which you so cleverly took the name of this podcast from. Thank you. Yeah. That's and, totally right. yeah, Patton's crouching. It's just 1992. Patton completely epitomised in one performance. It's absolutely amazing. You know, you hear those samples which you mentioned earlier. You know, all the things that was it was it Ben Brown referred to it in in the emails earlier on in this episode. Fucking out of this world, absolutely outstanding. Yep. In 1993, they played Caffeine 38 times, so that would have pretty much been all the shows, I reckon. In 1995, 52 times again probably all the shows and I don't know how you feel about Dean's performance of it but I think Dean rocks it and he does a really good job yep. yep and then you've got that extended middle eight which we did discuss on our King for a Day live episode I can't is it Pink Pop um, and also there's there's a various other performances there's that you that can really see great on chilly YouTube performance that there's a really really extended the one where Patton's got the shaved head and being spat on that's yeah, uh, Monsters of Rock, is it? Is Monsters of Rock. Yeah. yeah, was that, was that Chili? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Monsters of Rock and that's, Chili. Um, yeah. That's ridiculous. 
And then in 1997, they played it 23 times. So I think they played it a little less in 1997. Like um, Mr. Fucking John said earlier in the episode, they didn't play it at the show he was at. Maybe they decided to switch things around a bit in 1997 and play less of that, those old classics. Mm, yep. Uh, and John plays... I, I did notice that John plays the bit over Make Contact as more of a defined riff. And oh, something we didn't mention, actually, which I really do need to mention about Patton's vocals, mm-hmm. is he does that kind of intake of breath thing. That... <coughs> on that scream. Quite often. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, And he yeah. makes some kind of... Little... It's like, like kind of like... Yeah. It's almost kind of like an American Indian melody that he does at one point. And it's you can tell it's Patton's voice, and it's that thing that we've spoke about in the past where he, he breathes in and kind of um, growls at the same time, or sometimes screams. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he does that. Yeah, I did... Sorry, I did forget to mention that in Patton's... Uh, in, in Patton's vocals. Mm. But you know the, the sample that Roddy does in that MTV performance? That w- it sounds like... What did we say it sounded like? Like an industrial sound or a click or something? Yeah, yeah. It's- John uses his guitar to make that noise. In the 1997 performances. You're right. He does that on his guitar. He covers his strings up and goes... Like that. Yes. 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 And um, that no other guitarist does that. Oh. John, John's the only one that does that. There's yeah. always one Good tidbit. Thank you, thank you. I did really pay attention. (laughs) And also, I did notice that Roddy chucks in some backing vocals, particularly in 97, you can hear them. In the, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm fucking you! Roddy backs up pattern there. In uh, nineteen ninety seven, particularly, it's very um, prominent. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm having trouble speaking so posh for this whole fucking episode, man. Oh God, I'm trying to trying to be more eloquent, I'm trying to just like keep fucking Jeff Holman. Oh shit, I said his full name. Keep Jeffrey, the podcast connoisseur, happy, but it's hard work, man. Anything to add there, Michael? Mike, Mike. There was no, there were actually no particular ones that, you know, I mean, that aside from what just got mentioned then, because as I said, it's Mm. kind of a, it's always been a sure thing. It's always been performed. Like it's always been awesome. I do love that in the 92 era, they would often come out on stage after the final countdown intro. And they do the, yeah. the sometimes yeah, yeah, they yeah. do the gymnastics, the exercise thing, even though Jim wouldn't. And then they'd all like start yelling and screaming or laughing or whatever, and then Roddy would play the sample and then they'd just go for it. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. They were all of those performances when they would open with it were pretty brutal. It was always good. It's always good. In the ninety-five mm-hmm. performance, we obviously get that extended um, middle eight, and back in the day, a website I was working for put a few questions to Bill about um, Angel Dust. And it was a bit of a fan Q&A. And one of the people that sent in a question was Doug. Doug Esper. Oh, was that him? Shout out, Doug. We've had you on the show. (laughs) He put, on a serious note, what's the most random thought you've had playing the extended version of Caffeine? And Bill replied, there have been so many, too many. I've spaced out a few times and come back, only to find that my fingers were playing the whole time. Strange feeling. Thank God FNM songs are rhythm based and I'm a bass player. I love I love I, I remember that question being asked and didn't re- realize that was Doug. That's excellent. Great question, Doug. Really great work. Mm. Perfect, yep. Doug. Thank yep. you, mate. You. Love to have you on the yep. show. I already have. And yeah, again at some point. Yeah. <laughs> In 2009, they played Caffeine 47 times, pretty much every show I reckon. 2010, 22 times again every show I would have guessed and 2015 65 times so yeah always there always in the set apart from in 97 where it would seem that they um, played it a little less and that's all i've got to say on the live performances so is that everything on caffeine oh 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 no obviously not (laughs) um okay so we finished live the one last thing mm-hmm. that I felt like adding was that uh, we reached out to our, our Faith No More friends. Shout out Faith No More friends. Love to have you on the show. And a few people pointed out songs that have copied caffeine. Oh, right. Yeah. Ripped okay. off caffeine. Uh, look, it only needs to be a small, a small segment. Only a small, small moment. There was a Deftone song that sort of imitated it. It's not exactly the same. I was actually a fan of, like, I was a fan of the Deftones album when it came out. So the album Adrenaline, there's a song called Nosebleed, and there's a there's a caffeine vibe to it. That's not a complete ripoff. And in the same way. Metallica did an acoustic version, even though there's electric guitars in it, an acoustic version of Disposable Heroes, and it has a very caffeine vibe to it. Yes, I did hear that. Yeah, I, I, I remember when it first kicked in, I actually thought, oh, they're covering caffeine. But, um... The this one, uh, Rodrigo, your 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 good friend Rodrigo, our, our good friend, but especially especially yours, uh, pointed out. That- Can I just take this opportunity to, to apologise to Rodrigo and many others that during the email section I have been rather cruel to uh, over these episodes. I've been quite Look, I don't hurtful, sorry, mate, and, and yeah. imitating them. No, no, no I think it is, Mike. I really do. Most people I have do. a sense of humour. I do. Most people get it. There's been occasions when Rodrigo sent us off his own back, taken the time out of his busy schedule to send us a voice recording of himself, uh, correcting our pronunciation of of 
words, foreign words. Caralho voador. Rodrigo's quite kindly sent us an example of a song that does sound a bit like caffeine. And dude, I've always, I've, I've never, look, I've never been a fan of dog fashion disco. I kind of got into them briefly because they sounded kind of like a Faith No More bungle hybrid. But I just- it sound like Limp Biscuit. I just couldn't get into them because they just sounded so blatantly unoriginal. And this song, Fetus on the Beat, is just- so, like the drums, especially in the intro, are just absolute blatant ripoff. And it look, it's probably intentional. It's probably on purpose. It sounds as though it's actually a nod. It sounds as though they 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 did it intentionally. So, yes, yes. Right, should we move on to new music? Yeah. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Well, I'd like to start, if that's okay yeah, with you. by all means, Mike. please. I'd love to hear what you have So, to last share. episode, I promised you a review of the 8BC oh, did you? album that you so kindly shared. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. Now, my wife uh, thought you sounded a bit like Right Said Fred. <laughs> but I could hear a few influences there. I could hear Huberstank. Oh, God. <laughs> I could hear... Uh, men at work and tight fit. No, <laughs> I'm just trying to inject a little humour because it's been rather a humourless episode, and we all know that we're funny guys. So, no, actually, you remind, reminds me a bit of um, Incubus. Okay, um, in your voice, and I don't know how you're going to take this, but I, I actually heard a bit of Marilyn Manson in your voice, oh. and also a bit of the guy from Placebo. Uh, but the music, I, I kind of got yeah. a Stone Temple Pilotsy feeling actually from the oh, music. Okay. And yeah, and, and I know you said you were a bit embarrassed about it, but I can hear the pattern influence. Yeah. But o- overall, mate, absolutely adore it. Absolutely Thank love you, it. Thank uh, All joking put aside, ABC rule. Um, I've since gone back and uh, checked out all the stuff that you've released on Spotify. And yeah, so guys out there, Mike's band, ABC, they are really good. And um, yes, I did end last episode with a bit of a joke that um, they released a Christmas album. Um, it's not a Christmas album at all. It's it's some damn good fucking homoerotic rock music for men. Yep, it's good. Thank you. And women. And women, I was going to say. Don't, don't. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Be kind. <laughs> yeah. And the second thing I'd just like to bring up is a new song by a band called Blood, spelled B-O, sorry, B-L-O with the two little um, um, indentations, like what they call them. Um, um, yep. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, uh, D. Um, so, and that's, there's, they've released a song called Lady Cat, and this band features Doug Esper, who we've mentioned already in this episode, who, you know, has also got other, um, musical projects in Doria, um, not in Diarrhea, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he obviously worked with Chuck, um, as his manager, as his roadie, as his, Bongo player, Bongo player yeah. uh, and also it does it does infirmary as well. And this song is it actually is really yeah, awesome. Cool. Really love it, Doug. Excellent job, yeah. mate. It features Mike Heller of Fear Factory on drums, and it also features a guy called Bobby Gamage on vocals. Now you may remember Bobby, guys, if you uh, remember a young man called Dyke Fagan, who used to make YouTube videos, which totally 
ripped on Mike Patton, <laughs> but were insanely accurate and really, really funny. And anybody oh. that, that finds any insult from those videos or is offended by him, then you are not a Mike Patton fan because Bobby did an awesome job of sending up Mike Patton. Brilliant. Anyway, Bobby features on this 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 song as well. Uh, and yeah, it's a great song. And that's all I've got for new music. What have you got? You know what? Not a whole lot because a, uh, a lot of new releases slow down at this time of year. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, there's, right. a, there's a sort of alternative hip-hop dude go, that goes by the name of I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like Eve's Tumor or Eve's Tumor. And it's like a kind of from what I've listened to it and it's something I need to dive more deeply into. It's just really alternative sort of hip hop, but there's some really cool sort of, is it lo-fi beats, I guess. Um, but when I was looking up, when I said this dude before, also goes by a whole lot of different, uh, you know, different names and pseudonyms and sometimes uh, has sort of, you know, Sometimes identifies as male and sometimes is non-identity, and I'm, I'm I'm not familiar when I when I say that one. Uh, this artist, whether it's a they or a him, so I apologise if I uh, offend anyone in that misrepresentation. If it was misrepresented, and if anyone is into Nick Cave, the idiot prayer performance, even though the audio has been released, the performance he did in London. Uh, sort of as part of the whole lockdown thing and it was a live stream. My girlfriend and I actually watched it together like two months ago and I've never been a huge Nick Cave fan, but I've always been interested enough and she really wanted to watch it. And so we bought, you know, we bought a ticket to watch this streaming event. It was like on a Thursday night in Australia at the particular time it was showing. And so we ordered, ordered in dinner and opened a bottle of wine and it went for the, the, the original stream went for around about an hour, whatever it was. And by 45 minutes in, both of us have already been in tears and it was sort of like, do we open another bottle and we crack another bottle of wine and just sort of settled into it? So even though the audio has just been released, the uh, the, the, perform- the video performance of that is definitely worth watching. It just Nick Cave alone with a piano. So if you're into that sort of thing, um, yeah, really beautiful performance and the space like the 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 way it's shot and the the sound within the space that it was filmed as well it was um yeah it's it's really yeah it's quite something sounds really interesting something yes thanks for that mike Mm. yeah yeah and brilliant okay okay yeah and that's look that completes new music for me Uh, what have we got um oh oh Okay, well, we have actually got some Faith No More news. Faith No More have rescheduled for the second time the Australian dates (laughs) for their tour. They were 2020. They were 2021. Now they're pretty much the same time, but in 2022, which I think is great news. Because I think by that time, well, fingers crossed, coronavirus will no longer be an issue and people will not have to social distance at the gig or or do anything ridiculous like that, wear masks or anything. And the guys in Australia can get a proper Faith No More tour and New Zealand, sorry. And Faith No More did make a statement. Once again, in this world of things being temporary out of our control, we are having to postpone our Australian-New Zealand dates. 
postponed and not cancelled being the silver lining here and we're grateful for that we intend on making it up to you only at a time when things are safe for all of us until then thanks for sticking this out with us and take care we're all in this together and when it happens we promise to make it special love billy john might be might pee and roddy mm-hmm. so yeah they're back um you can find the dates obviously on faith no more followers we've got uh, the dates on there obviously on faith no more uh, dot com the rescheduled dates in february of 2022 and i kind of get the impression that they will probably reschedule the whole tour for 2022 i would think now yeah. i'm getting that feeling i look i'm personally when it was probably about two months ago it was just looking as though it was reaching the point where it's like it's absolutely impossible unless there's some sort of lift or, you know, we, we make some sort of allowances for performers to start coming into Australia. You know, Australia has been almost at the point of eradication until yesterday in Sydney <laughs> where we had two mm. cases and then today it turned into 17. So that will be interesting by the time this episode actually comes out. Where will it be up to? But it's a relief that they've actually rescheduled it rather than cancelled it. You know, like it was... It yeah. was there was no way it was going to happen in February. So the fact that it's actually, mm-hmm. it's still going ahead. It's booked for 2022. I've seen now that there's a, a, a sort of an encouragement to say to people, keep your tickets because, you know, there's there's sort of an obligation for the ticket companies to be refunding, but, you know, in out of support for the artists, you know, keep your tickets. And as an extension of that, keep your tickets, but bring your friends. Get more ticket yeah. sales. Tell your friends about Faith No More. Go back a few episodes and listen to that shitty episode we did called The General Art of Introducing Your Friends to Faith No More. <laughs> uh, I know that you're really proud of that one. And no, uh, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, hashtag keep your tickets. Hashtag bring your friends. I have to say, uh, Mike, I'm really proud of every episode that we've done and more so for your involvement and what you've brought to the show and the fact that you originally put this together and then I, you know, rode on your coattails to be crudely humorous and very offensive to people. And I strive from now on to make up for that so that I don't get replaced by someone like Mr. Fucking John. But well, we'll see. I would like to say that your friend Jerry made a comment on Facebook about this. Shout out, Jerry. Uh, love to have you on the she's, show. Yeah, we would really would love to have you on the show. And she put, yes, so happy to have this postponed. I'd rather enjoy a full tour when it feels safe and comfortable to be squished against the front barrier and the states have things under control for you guys. And that's just the perfect yep. comment, you know. Right, shall we invite Mr. John back? I feel a bit. I feel a bit. I feel a bit bad for him just being sat there not saying anything. <laughs> Should we invite him back to do the the uh, sign I guess out? It's time to close Shall the we? show. Yeah, come on, come come on back yeah. here, Mr. John. Can I come out now? Yay! Oh, this was a good I time. Mean, I've, 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 you didn't even give me anything to read, or like you know, a Game Boy or something. I know that's a weird '90s reference, but to be honest, I've sat still <laughs> for the last God knows how long. I'm not even wearing a watch, let alone I haven't got like a candle to watch tick down. It's just been hell sitting here like some kind of gimp. I mean, I don't mind that reference personally. I'd be okay with that role, but... Well, thank you, mate. Thanks for stepping into my shoes for this episode. It's been a sterling episode. You've done a sterling job, and I can 
only say how grateful I am. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm not I'm not from Stirling, I'm from Edinburgh. Can we just clarify that, even though I have no discernible Scottish accent? See, people really do say Stirling. Yeah, oh, is I that know, a real thing? It's, 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 when you, can I excuse me, how do we get to Sterling? you got to Sterling that way, mate. Yeah, that's when they say Sterling. <laughs> no other circumstance. I have to say, it did surprise me you didn't have a Scottish accent. I, I, I know you You're did surprised. that uh, train Guess spotting Guess how I thing. feel. Like, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> in Scotland all the time. Yeah, the train spotting thing was me acting, darling. That was acting, yeah. Hope you oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, all right, well, should we wrap this shit up then? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Wrap Send it up. Okay, me. look. I've got something really serious I want to put out there. Okay. Um, okay. No, 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 I'm being serious. I've been nice all this episode, and this is the new me. This is the new Jim. Uh, Jeff will be glad to know this is the new Jim, okay? Oh. I don't know how I feel about so, that. So uh, I just want to say a great big thank you to Mike for uh, letting me do this podcast for the last two years nearly. Um, it's been a hell of a ride. And Mike, I love you, buddy. And I really I do. I love you too, mate. Thank you so much. Um, you guys are so Thanks cute. for being a part of this. And also I want to say thanks to everyone who supported us this year. Uh, all the people on Facebook, all the people on other social media sites, all the people that download the podcast. We realise it's been a tough year for many people, including us. Um, and we hope that uh, we have entertained you this year and we've succeeded in providing a little light relief in these uncertain times. So happy new year from me. A happy New Year from me as well. Can I speak now? I mean, am I even contractually obliged at this point? Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, that's nice. You've been listening to Podcast Croissant. This is Mike. I'm afraid this is Mr. John. I can only apologise. And this is Jim. And it was almost sweet talk. Caffeine. Well, that's my line. No, it isn't. It's Mike Patton's. It's in the song. He wrote the lyrics. He stayed up all night drinking coffee for you. For you. (laughs) Do you know what? I've been nice all this fucking episode. Do you know what? I'm fucking fed up with it. Fuck you, Mr. John. Oh, Fuck you, better. Mike. You oh, yeah. stupid... It's so much better oh, when you no. like Fucking that. music no, chat. No, you stupid oh, fucking oh, chat. Yeah, yeah. Fucking no, music yeah, chat. We're boring as hell this episode. And Christmas Christmas fuck you, Jeff Holman. Do you know what? Think about Fuck you, Jeff Holman. Do you know what? I'm leaving. I'm leaving again. Do you know what? You can go bollocks. Bollocks. Jim. Oh, mate. You were doing so well. What about RV? Next episode. We can prepare for next episode. RV, Mike, he's, he's, I think he's gone, man. I heard a door shut. But, um... Mr. John, are you free? In- oh, I'm still here. I mean, you've, I'm, I'm chained to the corner, mate. Yeah, I'm completely free. Good grief. Good. So you'll be free in the new year? Yeah, just let me out of my innocence cave and I'll be there to blossom. <laughs> All right, it's a plan. Yeah, I'd like to. It'd be nice. I just farted at microphone. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it right now. It's not for
you'll grow out of it.